Now, seriously, a note on what Milton said, and I heard some others say today, wasn't it hot in the sanctuary last night? I said, I didn't notice. I really didn't, because I walk in faith. And they said, how do you do that? I said, well, I speak to my body, and I command my body to be subject to me. So when I speak to my body, my body obeys me. It does what I tell it to do. Now then, when I first learned these principles that were written there in the Word of God, I, I, I can go back to a simple place in Mark 11. Jesus told us in many of the books, but in Mark 11, it's as clear as any place you can go. And Jesus is showing us a spiritual principle in Mark 11. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. And he wakes up that morning. Of course, he was outside sleeping on the ground. Can you imagine the king of kings and lord of lords and god of gods sleeping on the ground? Now, he may have used John as a pillow. I don't know. You know, uh, he loved him. He was always so close to him, so he might have snuggled up beside him and used his stomach for a pillow or something. I don't know. But anyway, the Lord slept on the ground. And that morning when he woke up, he was hungry, just like you and me, because he had laid down his deity and he had become a man. And he said he looked over at this beautiful green fig tree, and although it was not the time for figs, he went over to the tree and he spoke to the tree. Now, if you're not careful, if you get caught speaking to your flowers or your trees, somebody will think you're a little bit, you know, messed up. But don't worry about them. Only be concerned about what Jesus said. Jesus spoke to the fig tree and he said, may you never bear fruit again. Now, he said that in total faith. And when he did, the fig tree immediately began to wither and die. Now, the next day, when they came back, when you get up to about Mark 11, 14, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, along in there, you will see that Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, the fig tree that you cursed has withered and died. How did you do this? And in Mark 11, 22, Jesus said, if you have the God kind of faith or if you have faith in God. Now, see, this is a kind of faith you and I must develop. We must, as children of God, get a hold of these promises of our king because he's showing us and telling us what we can do as children of God. Now, if you don't believe these things will work, then you might as well not try them because they will not work. You have to have the God kind of faith. And Jesus, how many of you believe Jesus is our king? Is he your king? Then if you believe Jesus is your king, I want you to look at your Bible. How many of you brought your Bible tonight? You got a Bible with you tonight? Look at it and look at the words of our king. In Mark eleven twenty two. He says, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith, depending on what translation you've got. Assuredly, I tell you the truth. Not only can you do what I've done to the fig tree, but see that mountain over there? If you speak to that mountain 
and command that mountain to move from there and be cast into the sea. And if you do not doubt in your heart, but you believe what you say, that mountain will obey you. And then he goes a step further. Therefore, whatever you say with that mouth, if you believe it with that heart, you will have whatever you say. I mean, just think about it, folks. Did Jesus say this? Did what I just tell you, was it in your Bible? Now, are we going to believe him? We'll start thinking like God. Speak to your body. Body, in the name of Jesus, according to these principles, I speak to you tonight, and I command you to be comfortable and cool. I am in charge here, not you. I, the spirit that lives within me, is here to control my physical body. When I learned these principles as an engineer, I got to the point where, you know, I noticed what people said, the guys that worked for me. We're going to go into a walk-in freezer where it's zero. I walk in with a short sleeve shirt. They said, Mr. Scrivener, you got to have a big heavy coat on. I said, no, I'm not going to be in there but about five or ten minutes. No problem. But you'll freeze in there. I said, no, I won't. Now, see, their confession is wrong and mine is right. My body will not get cold in the few minutes I'm going to be in there. My body hears me. And my conditioning system, heating and air conditioning system, which God put in me, kicks in. Now, then, when I walk in there and it's zero degrees, immediately the body begins to produce the heat that's necessary to keep my body reasonably warm while I'm in there. Now, I realize it does have limits according to my faith. But if I have great faith, then I can do great things in the name of Jesus, provided I'm not ashamed to tell people it's what I'm doing. I said, I'm going in here. I'm speaking to my body. My body is subject to me in the name of my King Jesus Jesus said, I can speak to my body. He spoke to a fig tree and it died. He said, I could speak to a mountain if I didn't doubt my heart and I could move the mountain. So therefore, he went so far to say, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe it with my heart, I can have it. Is that what he said, brother? So now we come to a rock and a hard place. Are we going to believe him? Yes, we're going to believe the king. So you start saying some things in faith. And so when you say them in faith, I could go into the boiler or into the freezer and stay with them maybe 10 minutes or whatever, help them or check them, or show them how to set a superheat on a, uh, an expansion valve or something like that. And then one of the men come by and say, Mr. Scrivener, I'm having a problem I can't handle down in the boiler room. Well, it's 130 degrees in the boiler room. So I go from there where it's 10, zero degrees or maybe five or 10 above or two or three degrees below. And I walk with them down the corridor, out of a freezer, down to a ballroom, and walk into a place where they're taking their coat off or they walk out. We walk into the ballroom where it's 120, 130 degrees, and they're taking everything off down to their T-shirt. And we're down there 20 or 30 minutes, and I'm showing them how to adjust something or how to do something that they don't know how to do. And as I'm showing them, there's just beads of sweat pouring off of them, and I am hardly even have a drop of sweat on my body. How do you do this? I said, I speak to my body. You may think you're crazy. Oh, no. I'm telling you, you can check with the men that worked with me. I can do this. Now then, 
Jesus gave you and me these great and awesome principles. I'll share another example with you right quick of a few years ago. Actually, about 11 years ago, I guess. The company I was working for as an engineer had been purchased by another company. And they came in and they called us all to the main office in Washington, D.C., where our corporate headquarters were. And the big boys from the company that bought the company I worked for told us that they were going to do away with the regional engineering division, of which I happen to be director of engineering. And so they said, we won't need any of you regional engineers no more. Come September, you will be out of a job. Okay, no problem. I go home, and where my office was there at DFW Airport, I went up to the roof, and I looked across at this organization that bought us. They had some great big, huge buildings there at DFW Airport. I said, Lord, I don't know who the head engineer is here over all these facilities, but I ask you to promote him to a new job. I ask you to promote him to a new job, a better job. Now, I don't want him to be thrown out. I want him to be promoted. I'm looking out for his good. And I said, Lord, I've traveled as a regional engineer for the last 20-something years, and now I'm ready to sit down and stay at home for the next few years and probably till I get to be 65 or so or 70, whatever, I'm going to work as an engineer for this company, but I want to do it from home. I don't want to travel no more. I said, Lord, I'm going to be the regional en- or the local engineer for this corporation, and my office is going to be right over there in that big building, and I'm going to be the head engineer for all their facilities here at DFW Airport. I said, thank you, Lord, for giving me that great and awesome promise of Mark 11:23. What do you say I can have? Do you have the kind of faith to speak that and believe it? Well, I'm walking downstairs in a few days, and one of the people said, Thurman, we've just heard that the engineering division is going to close. I said, that's true. They said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be the head engineer for the new company. <laughs> oh, they've already contacted you. I said, no. Well, how do you know that? I said, because I don't work for them. I work for the king of the universe. His name's Jesus. And he said, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. So I said, I've said, I'm going to be the head engineer over here for them. But Thurman, you don't know that. I said, oh, yes, I do. See, now you have to stay in faith. You know, we we live so far below what God has provided for us. So time goes on, month after month, and come September... Everybody had asked me, what are you going to do? I said, I told you all I'm going to be the head engineer over there. Well, it came the middle of September when the job, my job was going to end the middle of uh, September. And about, uh, I think it was 95, 90, yeah, I believe it was 95, September. And so I thought, well, Lord, I just got one more week on the job here. I guess I better walk across the street and meet the VP and tell him I'm his new engineer. And so I walked across the street and went in, and I walked up to the main window there in the main entryway, and I said, who is the VP here? And they said, Pepe Pinto. I said, well, where's his office? They said, upstairs in a certain office. I said, okay. So I walked up there, and I walked up there and knocked on the door. And him and Charles Ashcraft, the director, were in there discussing things. And I just knocked on the door, and I said, are you Pepe Pinto? He said, yes, I am. 
uh, he said, who are you? I said, I'm Thurman Scrivener. I was the regional engineer, director of engineering for the corporation that y'all just bought. And I thought I'd come over and tell you that, you know, my job over there ends next week and I'm ready to go to work for you. He said, are you exactly in the right time? I said, what do you mean? He said, my head engineer I've had for 10 years told me this day, today, that in one week, he's going to go take the job with the engineering division down in Florida, and he's going to leave. And I thought, what am I going to do? He said, boy, are you perfect. I say, is that the way it works? Doesn't God do good work? So I met the man. I got me in touch with uh, uh, Benny DeVino was his name. And I started walking around with him, talking with him. And as we walked around the building, he said, let me show you and explain to you how these systems work. And as we started walking, and I said, that's okay, Vinny, you don't have to tell me about those. I've got years of experience with this and this and that. And after about a week, almost a week, the fourth night, he said, where have you been all of my life? I said, what do you mean? He said, I have had problems with things. I didn't understand, and I have looked for a man that had the knowledge that you have, and there you were right across the street. I said, yes, but it wouldn't have done any good for you to contact me because I work for your competitor. So I said, I wouldn't have given you the answers. But I said, now you and I work for the same company. So now I will give you the information. I'll be happy to help you any time I can. He said, Thurman, how in the world have you learned so much in your life? I said, it's simple, Vinny. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and King. And anytime I need an answer for anything, I go to the throne of grace and ask him. And he speaks to me by my spirit. And he reveals these great and awesome things to me by my spirit. I said, do you know him? He said, no, but I want to. I said, well, let me lead you to Jesus. So that night I got to lead the man to Jesus. He saw something in a man that was not ashamed of his Lord and Savior that he had never seen in his life. And I had the privilege to lead that man into the kingdom of God and got him saved. And then I said, by the way, how did this happen that you're leaving right now this week? He said, well, about six months ago. Now, that's when I first prayed the prayer. That's when I went up on the roof and claimed the job. He said, my wife, which works for American Airlines, was promoted to a better position and she was transferred to Miami, Florida. And he said, just last week, the man that used to be here as a VP, I worked for him. He decided to do their own in-house maintenance instead of using external maintenance sources. And he decided to start up his own engineering division down there. And he needed an engineer over those four plants we have down at Miami, Florida. So he knew I had the knowledge to do this. And he called me and offered me an increase in salary if I would come down there and do the job down there for them. And so he said, since my wife's already down there, I thought this will be perfect. Now just think, when I spoke the prayer of faith, God almost immediately moved his wife into a new position with American Airlines and transferred her to Miami, Florida. And then the week before I get the job, the man down there, something happened in his heart to change everything he did and change it so he would need this man and give him an increase in salary to move him down there, which took him out of this job and left the job open for me. Now, all that happened By faith in the Word of God. 
All those things, none of those things just accidentally happened. They all happened by speaking things in faith. When you get a hold of what you can do in faith, you will never have any fear again. You'll never worry about anything. You'll know that God is on your side. He is a faith God. And when you speak in His name and you believe what you say will come to pass, He will do it for you. Did He promise it in His Word? So why should we ever fear again? We have the Word of God. I mean, do we not have the Word? Did your Bible not say the same things that I just said? Did it not say that if you, whatever you say with that mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you can have it? Did Jesus say that? You grow up believing. You grow up saying what you want from the Word of God, and He will bless your socks off. And then you can do great and mighty things in the name of Jesus. Now think, I didn't know those things until I was well up into my late 30s. I begin to see these things. I mean, I'm in church every Sunday. But it's like, I didn't get this. I mean, I could see these things. I would read them. But these powerful scriptures, most of these powerful scriptures that we're talking about on how to walk the fight of faith, I, as a Sunday school teacher, never taught them. Isn't that amazing? How that we do not teach these powerful principles And here they are, right here in the Word of God. Well, I've come to realize the reason I couldn't do these things, I didn't understand what remission and forgiveness meant. We talked about that right at the end last night. And then the next thing, I didn't understand who I was in Christ. I used to think I was that unworthy sinner, saved by grace. I didn't realize that I used to be an unworthy sinner. But once I got saved by faith... By the grace of God, I'm now no longer a friend. I'm a son. And a son has rights. And God became our daddy. Is that awesome? I mean, you know, we think about that. But we don't think about that. We just It just kind of like it goes over our head a hundred miles high. We can't see ourselves as true children of God with these promises that are in this book. There's an enemy there, two of them, the flesh and the devil. Both of them are against you. The devil is for sure against you to blind your mind to these mighty things. I can only see in the spirit realm that when our king came to this earth and he was killed on the cross. You know, I've had a lot of people say, well, who killed Jesus? Well, I'd say, well, I did. He had to die for me, which he did, or for you. But really, some people say, well, the Jews killed him. And then one day I found the answer in the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 says that if the principalities and powers had have known what they were doing, they would have not crucified the Son of Glory. Have you read that? You've heard that, haven't you? Let's go over there and look at that a little bit more in detail. 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 2. 
verse 8 says, which none of the princes of, of this world knew, for had they known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Then it says, but as it is written. Now think about this. This is the most important thing if it's written. This is very important to remember as it is written. You cannot go beyond knowledge of the Word of God. And if it's not written, don't believe it. We believe a lot of things as tradition. But they don't agree with God's Word. And those traditions never bring forth miracles or healings. I went down to Corpus in 1999 on Saturday, on Thursday. A lady in my Sunday school class there at Justin First Baptist Church called me that night, Thursday night, and said, Thurman, I sit in your Bible study class, and I hear you talk about these great and awesome principles of God and the miracles you see all the time and the healings. And my best friend just called me from Corpus Christi. She's 53 years old, and she is a Baptist woman, and she called me to say goodbye. She has breast cancer. She's had it two years. She said she called a while ago and said goodbye. So the doctor said she has less than a week left to live. Said she hasn't had a bite to eat in over three weeks. Her intestines have been blocked. Her colon is blocked. She has tumors in her colon and she cannot absolutely eat a bite of food. She said, if my husband and I buy you an airplane ticket, will you go to Corpus Christi and pray for this woman? I said, yes. Saturday is my day. I'm normally off on Saturday so I can do what I like to do around the farm. But I'm a servant of God. And when God calls, I lay the farm to the side. So she bought me a ticket and I went out Saturday morning. Now to get there... The ticket she bought so I could get down there. She said, how much time do you need down there? I said, between five and seven hours. She said, okay. So when she called back in a little while, she said, I had to get you a flight that leaves very early from DFW. It leaves at seven o'clock. I said, okay. So I got up at five o'clock a.m. Now, my wife talks about getting up at the crack of dawn. Let me tell you, that's the crack of dawn. The sun was not up. I got up at 5 o'clock. I went out and got on an airplane. I flew down to Houston, changed planes, had about an hour layover, whatever it was. And then I flew to Corpus and I arrived at Corpus at 10.20 Saturday morning. Her husband, Don, met me at the airport. I didn't know him, never seen him before. But when I got off, there was only a few people and for sure only one man standing there waiting for someone. So I asked him, I said, are you Don? He said, yes, are you Thurman? I said, yes. So he loaded me up in his car. We went to his little apartment, and I went upstairs in that little apartment, and there lay a little 53-year-old Baptist woman that had taken her three hours to get out of bed that morning. Her, her breasts were eat up with cancer. Cancer was coming through her head. She was in very, very bad shape. I said, tell me your circumstances. And she told me. And she said, I'm trusting Jesus to heal me. I said, ma'am, 
or that confession, you're never going to be healed. She said, what? I said, Jesus is not going to heal you. I said, I'm going to prove to you today beyond a shadow of a doubt from the Word of God that Jesus Christ has already done everything He's going to do for your healing. It's already done. He's given it to you. And you're going to have to kick the devil out by faith and receive what He's already done for you by faith. And if you do, I guarantee you're going to get healed today. She said, I never heard anything like this. I said, well, get your Bible out. So I did her just like I did Kathy. When Kathy and Milton came down to my place, I don't know, what did I spend, four or five hours with y'all? And I literally beat the Word of God into them as I would say, open your Bible, Kathy. Open your Bible, Milton. And they would open their Bible and I said, now read that for me. And they'd read and I'd say, tell me what it says. And they'd tell me what it says. I said, now we come to a point. Do you believe this or not? And after four or five hours, they left. We prayed, and they left with a whole new revelation of the Word of God. Well, I did this same woman and her husband the same way, the two of them, all from 10.20 that morning until about 4 o'clock that afternoon. And we went through these principles and these great and awesome promises that God has given us. And finally, I mean, I didn't stop for a drink of water. We didn't eat nothing. I understand what Jesus says when I have food that you know not of. I didn't eat that morning when I got up. I didn't eat during the day that day. And I didn't eat anything until I got back home that night after 10 o'clock. And I was not hungry. But anyway, whenever I told her, at that 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I happened to look at my watch and I said, Oh my goodness, it's after 4 o'clock. And I said, My flight leaves in about an hour. I really need to be on that flight. I said, have you heard enough of God's Word to be healed? And Don, her husband, fell out of the chair on his knees with his hands raised. And he said, Lord, I cannot believe I'm 55 years old and I've been in church all of my life. And I didn't know hardly none of these promises this man told us today. I said, ma'am, how about you? And I got to see a little Baptist woman that weighed about 80 pounds. That did weigh about 125 or 30 pounds. I could tell she had been a very beautiful woman. But now she's eat up with cancer. That woman looked at me with fire in her eyes. And I said, have you heard enough of God's word to be healed? And she said, you come over here and cast this devil of hell out of me right now. And I'm going to be healed right now in the name of Jesus. You think her faith level had come up a little in five hours? Yes, it had. I went over there and poured a little oil on her forehead and said, devil, you've lost this one. Her faith is mountain high. I said, it's over. Come out of her in the name of Jesus. I said, ma'am, it's done because it's written in God's word. I said, now I've got to go catch that airplane. She got up out of that chair and said, I'm going with you. Said, okay. So her and her husband and me, we walked down them stairs, went out and got in the car, got out to the airport. And I said, Judy, I'm sure you must be extremely weak after what you've gone through. 
So I've got a long walk up there to that terminal to catch that airplane. So I will see you all later. Call me with your praise report. She said, oh, no, I'm not letting you get away that easy. She said, my husband, I'm going to walk you to that gate. And she got out of that car and she walked right with me, took every step I did, went right up to that gate. That's when you could still do this. And they walked me right up to the gate, saw me get on that airplane and waved me off. And they started back and walked and got in the car. And she said, Don, honey, I haven't had a bite to eat in three weeks. Jesus Christ healed me 2,000 years ago on the cross. She said, let's stop right down here at this restaurant. They got the best fried shrimp in town, and I'm going to have a fried shrimp dinner. <laughs> and she stopped and ate. Sunday afternoon, she called me. She said, Thurman, told me what she'd done. She said, it's wonderful to know what Jesus has already done. She said, I stopped and had something to eat last night, and I woke up this morning, and everything in my body worked perfect. You know what that means, don't you? (laughs) Judy Prince was miraculously healed by our Lord and Savior by faith in His Word. What did the Lord say He sends forth to heal us? His Word. Psalms 107, verse 20. I sent forth my word and healed them. He's not going to heal you. He's already done it. All we have to do is receive by faith what the king has already done. And when you get a hold of this, oh, when you get a hold of faith, what you can do with faith. Wow. Let's read on a little bit more right there in 1 Corinthians 2. For it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. How many of you have heard people even... People in office quote those verses on television and everything else. How many of you knew that verse? How many of you know what the next one says? I've heard many people quote that verse. In fact, one of my Baptist preacher's wives, that was her favorite verse. I don't know how many times I heard her quote that verse. One day I asked her, I said, ma'am. Let me find out where you really live. She said, what do you mean, Thurman? I said, I hear you quote 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I mean over and over and over. Hardly a Sunday goes by, I don't hear you quote that verse. I said, do you have any idea what the next verse 10 says? She said, no, I have no idea. I said, you know what that tells me? She said, what? I said, you're totally led by the flesh. Totally led by the flesh. She said, what do you mean? I said, you don't know what verse 10 says. I want you to see what verse 10 says. Listen to it. Listen to what the king says. But God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, how do you get revelation from God? Who has to reveal it to you? 
He does. You can't get it from man. You can't get it through your eyes. You can't get it through your ears. You can't get it through none of your five physical senses. But you get it through your spirit. I was talking to a lady today. Fine lady in this church. And she says, when your conscience tells you something, your intuition tells you something. And that's true with a woman. That's true. (laughs) But really what that is, is not a woman's intuition. It is not a woman's conscience. What is that that's talking to her? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit is talking to her. And of course, women, as a rule, can hear the Spirit easier than most men. So when they really listen, they will hear. So, gentlemen, that's why God give you a wife. If you can't hear from God, ask her. She probably has. And then whenever she gives you the information you want, if you're thinking, well, why didn't God speak to me? Well, if you'll go out and seek him, he will. He will. He'll reveal these things to you. He'll show you how to do everything. Do you know that when you learn to listen to your spirit, you'll never make a bad investment? But very few people learn to listen to God. I was telling them today, as we talked, I said, years ago, when Betty and I were married, before she was killed in the car wreck, that was the one, my wife, that got killed with my daughter in a car wreck in 2001. We went to an investment deal one day, and we listened. Both of us listened to the same story sitting right there together at a table. And when the guy got through talking, I turned and looked at her and I said, Honey, what do you think about that? She immediately said, Don't touch it. I said, Are you serious? She said, Yes. I said, I think it's going to be a good investment. She said, Well, you're the boss. You can do what you want to. You're the spiritual leader of our home. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't touch it. How quick can a woman's right and left brain communicate? Instantly. How quick can mine communicate? It's a whole lot slower. So I went ahead and invested $7,500 in an investment. And I lost most of it. I later thought, you know, if I'd only listened. But I didn't. But, you know, I was responsible. I made the decision. And I did it without asking God. Boy, every time I ever done anything that I didn't ask God and wait for an answer, I usually made a bad decision. But when I asked God and waited for His Spirit to communicate with me and tell me, I have never made a bad investment. Not one single time. After I learned to listen to my spirit and invest money, me working as an engineer, putting a few thousand dollars a year in investments, in a period of 20 years, 
I saved enough money. I lived, supported my family, drove a nice car, made house payments, paid all the bills, and in 20 years I saved enough money by listening to my spirit and investing to build us a brand new 5,000 square foot home, pay cash for it, to buy 100 acres of land and to pay it all off in nine years and saved a half a million dollars in the process. That's not bad. And so then after my wife died in the car wreck with my daughter, I took that money. I First of all, my son was fixing to get married, and he did get married to a beautiful young lady. And I figured they'd have children. In fact, when they first got married, they talked and they told me, I said, are you all going to have me any grandbabies? And they said, yeah, we're going to have eight. Now that they've got two, they decided to stop. <laughs> I was over at the house the other night, and my granddaughter, of course, my, you know, my granddaughter, the one that the Lord raised up from the dead, she lives with them too. And so they have three children now with her. And I was uh, over at the house the other night, and I walked in, and Tim said, Dad, how would you like to take three kids home with you for a few days? I said, gee, I thought you and Maraca were going to have eight. He said, that's before we had two. But he said, now that we know what kind of complications goes with two, we think we're going to just stop on two. Well, a lot of times it sounds good to have eight kids, but... When you get a couple, you realize the complications and the problems that goes with them. And so they decided, I think, unless something happens, they decided to stop on two. But it's amazing what we can do in the name of Jesus. But after saving all that money... I gave my wife my, that home, I gave that home, which was worth a quarter of a million dollars easy, to my son and his wife as a gift. And then I bought my son a brand new car and paid cash for it. And then I told him, I said, you're just about out of college. I want you to seek God and ask God what he wants you to do. And so he started seeking the Lord, and he come home one morning, and he was a nervous wreck. He was shaking all over. I said, son, what's wrong with you? He said, Dad, you've told me that God talks to you. He said, I've never believed that. But he said, he came in the car with me this morning. I said, thank you, Lord. I said, what did he tell you? He said, we are to build a fitness center. And I'm going to train people how to take care of their bodies physically, and you're going to train them spiritually. I said, well, I guess we better look for a piece of land, build as a building. So we started looking, and before we found it, God spoke to him a second time and told him the same thing. So I was able to buy my son a two-acre piece of ground right there out of Justin. It had a two-bedroom, I mean a two-story house on it. And I bought that and renovated that and put it in extremely good shape. Spent about 30000 on it. <clears throat> and then I started taking that money out of my investments to pay for all this. 
and I built him an 11,000 square foot building, me and two friends. We did all the work ourselves. We built him an 11,000 square foot building, and I fitted it with all the equipment and everything, and I gave that to him as a free gift. He had it appraised the other day, and it appraised for almost $900,000. The Lord says in His Word, I'm not saying, telling you these things to pull my string. I'm telling you that God says a wise man that seeks me and serves me will leave an inheritance for his children's children. Now then, if you'll serve God, God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't look to me as anything special. I'm just one of his children. If he will do that for me, he will do it for you. But you're going to have to do the same thing I did. I'm going to tell you, the king made us great and awesome promises as you claim them in his word. He promises to bless you in everything you put your hands to, he will bless you. And then whenever people used to ask me at the workplace when I was an engineer, how long are you going to work? I said, man, I'm in great health. I'm going to work till I can't work no more. I hear the Lord say, oh, yeah, I have different plans for you. I'm not going to let you work in the workplace. I am through with you in the workplace. And so he got me fired, finally got me fired in the workplace. And the minute he fired me, the people that told me I had to stop talking in the name of Jesus when I told them no, they finally did fire me. And whenever they called me to corporate headquarters and terminated me, and gave me five reasons that I was terminated, and all of them revolved around my service to the king. None of them about my work. They handed me that paper, and I said, praise God. And the lady said, sir, you're out of a job. I said, oh, no, I never did work for y'all. I have always worked for Jesus. He's my boss. And I said, I don't know what the king has for me, but I know it's a lot better than what I had here. And little did I know that in a short period of time, the Lord would put me in my own church, begin to put me on radio and television. I don't even know how many radio stations we're on now. I just pay the bills every month. But it's several thousand dollars paying our radio bills uh, every month. We're on probably seven or eight or nine stations. There, and uh, uh, now we're on the Internet radio as well. And now also for the last two years, we have been put on television, GLC, and that's God's Learning Channel out of Midland, Odessa. And when we were there with them, they covered the Southwest. But just recently, they have gone on satellite that covers the entire United States of America as well as Canada and South America. And then on April the 14th, they went on another satellite that covers all of North Africa, all the way around us to Argent, I mean to um, Australia. All the way up covers all of Japan, all the way over Siberia, and all the way back down, and all the way back down right across England and Germany, and almost they now cover two-thirds of the world. And we're on five to six times a week, and they give that to me free. You talk about a blessing. I mean, you see how God will bless you if you'll be about His business? It's kind of a beyond my wildest dreams. I would have never dreamed that I'd have got to see God do these kind of things. But when you take his word and you apply these principles by faith, Jesus said he will reveal these things to you by your spirit. So if you haven't gotten quiet before God and got in his word and said, Lord, I want you to talk to me. I want you to show me 
what you want me to do and how you want me to do it. And get in the Word and begin to pray over the Word and read the Word. And He will reveal Himself to you. Now, the first time He talks to you audibly, and many people are like I was the first, uh, well, until 1977. It was in June of 1977, the first time I heard the audible voice of God. I had never heard it until that time. He had only spoken to me through my spirit. And it was kind of difficult for him to get through to me there because I hadn't trained my spirit and I didn't know really how to hear him. But I've trained it much better since then. But in 1977, I got to hear the audible voice of God. And since then till now, I've lost count. Thirty times plus, at least, I've heard God speak to me in an audible voice. But he says there in 1 Corinthians 2.10, But God will reveal these mighty things to you by His Spirit. He will reveal them to you. Now then, I want you to turn with me in the process of this fighting, this good fight of faith. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 17. And I want to start with verse 14. I want you to see another one of these great and awesome promises that God has made you and me a promise and shown us a principle here that absolutely is out of this world. It is out of this world. If you can get a hold of what he's telling you. Matthew chapter 17 verse 14. And when they came to the multitude, there came unto him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and he's sore vexed, for oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, You faithless bunch. You perverse generation. How long shall I put up with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring the boy to me. I wonder what the king would say to me and you today. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what he would have to say to me. I know for the ones I have had the faith for, I'm grateful, but many I have failed. And every time I fail, I know it's not Jesus. It's my lack of faith. I am not where I want to be. These boys were not where they wanted to be. And he says... And Jesus rebuked the devil. And he departed out of him, and the child was cured. What did the boy have? A devil, a demon. That's what's wrong with us. When we have sickness and disease, that's what it is. That's what makes you sick. A devil or a demon. Can you imagine a woman like Judy Prince ready to die? With lung cancer, it had eaten through her breast. It had eaten through the top of her head. And the doctor said, you got 
a week or less left to live. And when her faith level came up, and I rebuked that devil and commanded to leave and commanded her to be healed in the name of Jesus, I said, now you're healed. Get up, woman. And she stood up believing God, and she was instantly, totally, completely healed right before my very eyes. Is God awesome or is he awesome? But look what he says. When these boys couldn't get it done, after the boy was cured, Jesus rebuked the devil and it came out and he was cured. Then came the disciples of Jesus and said, Lord, why could we not cast him out? That would be a good answer or a good question for you and me to ask the Lord. Lord, why can I not get these things done? And look what his answer is. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. What do you think is wrong with us? Unbelief. You know what we are? We're an unbelieving bunch of believers in an unbelieving church. We don't believe the Word of God. But we're slowly trying, aren't we? We're learning. That's why you're here. That's why some of you have come every night this week trying to learn how to walk by faith. And I really do hope, and Milton made that statement a while ago, if I haven't challenged your faith this week, I haven't done my job. If I haven't put you to the test and put a desire in your heart to get deeper into the Word of God, I have failed what God sent me here to do. He wants you to be men and women of faith. Doesn't He? Yes. That's what He's training us to be. Men and women of faith. He says, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith, if you have faith, as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and only a few things will be impossible with you. Is that the way your Bible read? Oh, it didn't read like that, huh? So what did it say? Nothing shall be impossible with you. Now, what has God given us as his people? He's given us the power if we learn to have faith and speak it out of our mouth in faith. What did the king say you and me can do? What would be impossible with us? Nothing. That tells us where we walk, doesn't it? So, you know, we start getting a little older. And when we go to Walmart, you know, we're a little tired or maybe we're a little overweight. So we get the little electric motor scooters to ride around in Walmart instead of walking. As Christians, you know what we ought to be doing? We ought to be running around in that place. We should have great and awesome strength. Because you should get out of bed in the morning and say, the Lord is my strength. Talking about being overweight. So many people are overweight today. There was a man came to a healing school here this last year. He weighed a little over 400 pounds. And he had problems with his knees and everything. I said, sir, I can't get your knees healed until you lose some of that weight. I said, God didn't design your body to carry 400 pounds around. He said, well, I, I want to take care of my body and I want to lose some weight. I said, okay, God, he wants you to do that. I said, so he will help you. 
I said, I will pray the prayer of faith for you and ask the Lord to speed up your metabolism and help you to control your diet so that you can lose this weight supernaturally. And I prayed the prayer of faith for him. I was in another town three months later, and he came there, and he came up when he came there and said, Thurman, I want to praise God for your ministry. He said, look at me. I said, wow, you've lost some weight. He said, I have lost in the last three months a little over 100 pounds in three months. You reckon he had some help from God? You know, the average person, you couldn't lose 100 pounds. It'd take you a year. Then you'd have to really be watching what you're doing. But by faith, what did God say we could do? Nothing's impossible. I mean, the king said that, didn't he? Maybe we ought to read that again. If, in verse 20, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing, nothing shall be impossible with you. As a Christian, as a son or daughter of the king of the universe, what kind of limitations do you have? None. Nothing. You and your lack of knowledge of the Word is the only limitation you and I have today. That's all. Oh, here's another answer in verse 21. How be it this kind? This kind of what? Either unbelief or a demon. I don't know which one he's talking about. I've heard people discuss it both ways. But he says, how be it this kind? Now, either this kind of unbelief or this kind of demon. It doesn't matter what it is, whichever way it is. He says, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and... Oh, that's got to be a misprint, doesn't it? It couldn't be fasting. They must have left the E out. Well, when we come to church... How many times do you all come to church and Brother Milton says, Y'all come Friday night and we're going to do a lock-in Friday and Saturday. We're going to pray and fast for the glory of God to come up on this place. They say, he, what did he say we're going to do? Now, praying may be one thing, but did he say fasting? We're going to come and pray and fast. Fast? What does that mean? Somebody said, well, that means not eating. Not eating? It's like a guy called me from Australia one time and said, My son, I'm having all kinds of problems with my son, and I don't have a clue what's wrong. I said, Well, sir, if you will pray and fast and ask God, I said, He'll give you the answer. He'll tell you what's wrong with your son. He said, Do what? I said, Pray and fast. He said, What does fast mean? I said, Sir, it means go without food. He said, Go without food? How long? I said, Well, probably to get an answer from God, what's wrong with your son? It probably won't take but about three or four days. He said, I would die. I said, no, you won't. I have fasted many days longer than three or four. How many people in here have ever been on a three-day fast? Praise God. How many of you ever been on a seven-day fast? How many of you been on a 14-day fast? Have you been on a 20-day fast? We're getting down to the wire. How many of you ever been on a 30-day fast? Boy, we're really getting down to the wire now. 
You know how hard it is to fast and pray? It's tough, but many of you have done it for a short period of time. And I'm going to tell you, if you will really spend that time with God, not just fast, not just go without food, but spend time with the King in the Word, He will love it and He will reveal Himself to you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Now, for those of you that have never fasted, I mean, this is very unusual. I mean, I, you know, but y'all are, I can understand a church with a pastor like y'all got and everything. I can understand the people that have fasted and prayed. But I can, I have asked that question in Baptist churches when not a single person has ever fasted three days. Not one. And for sure, nobody even dreamed of fasting and praying seven days. But it's amazing when you say into a church with 100 or 200 people in there and say, how many of y'all have fasted without food for three days and no hands at all go up? You know how many miracles and healings and things you see in that church? None. They're not, they're not, not there. Because they have never sought God. So you have to take Jesus' example to run this fight of faith. You have to spend time with God. You have to seek Him. Get on your face before Him and read and study His Word. And if you do, and if you have faith and develop faith, the King said, nothing shall be impossible with you and me. I think about this woman the other day come to a healing school. She came in in a wheelchair with an oxygen bottle. She listened four or five hours. I prayed for her and told her she had to believe God's Word. She left, went home in her wheelchair with her oxygen bottle. The next month, she came back to a healing school, and she walked in and said, When I got home last month, I'm sitting there thinking, You know, Thurman made a lot of statements today about these promises, and I looked at them, and God, as I'm looking at them, they're written in my Bible. So she said, Lord, all these things are true, and they got to be because you said them, so I believe that I'm healed, and I believe I don't need this oxygen bottle no more. She reached up and took the things off her head, and she laid it down, and she said, I don't need this oxygen no more. She said, now I'm fixing to take a deep breath, and it's going to be like a breath of fresh air. Is she saying the right things? Yes, she is. She took a deep breath, and it was like a breath of fresh air. And then she walked into the next healing school a month later and come up to the front and gave her personal testimony how she hadn't needed oxygen or a wheelchair in the last month, and she's going and doing everything she wants to do without a wheelchair, without an oxygen bottle. By faith... Jesus healed her. Isn't that amazing how people, we see those kind of things all the time in the healing schools. Now then, as we continue to understand who we are in Christ, first we must realize that in Romans 10:17, the Word of God says, faith, if faith is such a great and awesome part of what we have to do, then we need to learn how to get it. Now I've had a many a person come to me in a healing school or in church or whatever, and walk up to me and say, Thurman, pray for me. Lay hands on me. I want this great faith that you got. I said, unfortunately, I can't give it to you. I can't impart it to you. I said, Romans 10:17 has the answer to how to obtain great faith. 
Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Hearing the Word of God. So if faith comes by hearing the Word of God, if I bring somebody or somebody comes to my ministry center or, or comes to a healing school, what is it I need to do with them? I need to get the Word of God in them. I need them to hear and see these great and awesome promises of God so they can believe them. Now then, talking about somebody being in a wheelchair, Rusty, he had uh, MS, I believe it was, and he come to at least six or eight healing schools in a wheelchair, tried to get up and walk, tried to do every time he had come. We'd get him up, we'd try to walk with him, we did everything, and Rusty did everything he could, but he could never walk. I know he come to at least six or eight, four and five hour healing schools, and he never walked. And then one day, I didn't see him for two or three months. He quit coming. And then one day, we started a healing school, and I looked up, and <laughs> he walked in the door. I said, praise God. I said, come in, tell me what happened. And he said, and I called his name. He said, do you even remember my name? I said, as many times I walked around this place with you on my arm, how could I forget who you were? I said, tell me what happened. He said, I've been listening to your tapes. I've been reading the Word of God, and the other day I was sitting there in my wheelchair, and I was listening to your teaching, and I was checking it out in my Bible, and all of a sudden, I just realized, this is really true. This means what it says. He said, if that's true, and I know it is, I don't need this wheelchair no more. And I laid down my Bible, pushed myself out of my wheelchair, and he said, I've been walking ever since. And he came up and gave his testimony. And then at the halftime, two hours worth of teaching, we usually have a halftime, give people a little chance to take a break and go get some CDs and DVDs or whatever. He come up and he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I've never been able to cut my grass myself. So he said, I'm leaving today at the intermission. I'm going home and mow my grass. Isn't that amazing? A man had been in his wheelchair. It took him six or eight, four or five hour healing schools for his faith level to get high enough. And then all that other study and listening to tapes for hours and hours and hours until finally one day it became a revelation to his spirit that God's word is true. And he walked out of his wheelchair. When we believe God's word, just like Judy, you get up and walk off. You're healed. It takes time. Somebody said, well, gee, I wish I had great faith like you do. I mean, I wish back there I had great faith like this too. And now that I've got where I am, I'm not happy. I want to be beyond. You're never happy in faith. God always puts a burning desire in your heart to go one mountain further. Lord, if, that's just like the guy that says, if I could just make another million and he makes another million. And he say, well, that's not enough. I just need one more. He never gets enough. That's the way faith is. When you get that faith and you see what's available, you want to jump in leaps and bounds. And you want to get in the Word. You want to spend time with God. You want your faith level to increase so you can see Him do greater and mightier miracles. I love seeing God do these things. How does faith come? By hearing the Word. You get in the Word. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, 
That's a very important thing. I want to ask you this question before you get to that scripture, and I want to see a show of hands. How many of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt in the presence of God right now, you can stand in his presence and you are as righteous as Jesus? Praise God. The rest of you need some work. Until you get to the point that you know that Scripture says you are as righteous as Jesus and you can stand in the presence of God exactly like Jesus, you'll never walk in the supernatural. You've got to see yourself like God sees you. Now I'm going to show you in 2 Corinthians 5.21 what the Word says. You've got to know the Word. You've got to know who you are. You've got to overcome the devil. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him or in Christ. Now, if he made you the righteousness of God in Christ, are you righteous? Then, now then, let me ask the question again. From that scripture right there, are you a born-again Christian? Hold up your hand. If you know that you know that you know Jesus, if you got your hand up, then can you keep it up and say, if Jesus said, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, I'm righteous. See, you got to see yourself like the king sees you. When you see yourself like the king sees you, somebody says, oh, the right prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We need some righteous men. I said, praise God, go down here to assembly. Man, these guys got a whole church full of them. We know we're the righteousness of God in Christ. Hey, not for something we've done. Who did he say made us the righteousness of God? Jesus did. If he said you're the righteousness of God in Christ, brother, are you the righteousness of God in Christ? Well, don't be ashamed to proclaim it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You need somebody to pray the prayer of faith for you? Bring them on. I can pray the prayer of faith for you because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I am just exactly like Jesus on this earth. Because he's in me. He's in you. And you are righteous. Because he made you that way. The blood of Jesus has made you the righteousness of God in Christ. If there's anything you need to understand, who you are and how God sees you. Somebody say, oh, God couldn't possibly heal an old unworthy sinner like me. As long as you see yourself like that, he ain't going to do nothing for you. But when you say, Lord, you come boldly into the throne of grace, bouncing in there, and come before the throne of God and say, Dad, I got a little problem down here. The devil's trying to beat up on me. But I ain't standing for it. Or he may be trying to beat up on one of my babies or something like this. Or if you happen to be the husband, he may be trying to beat up on your wife. You say, now, Lord, we're your children. We're sons and daughters. And that devil, he's trying to mess with us down here. So I'm taking your word, since we're the righteousness of God in Christ, we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, and we do not belong to the devil. You delivered us out of his kingdom, translated us into this kingdom, and this temple that I live in belongs to you. And I know you can take care of it. And I know I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So I am demanding that this devil, in your name, of course, the name of Jesus, I am demanding that this devil let's attack this body to get out. Because he has no legal claim to it. 
Now then, if I've been weak and not been able to walk all this time, maybe I've been walking with a cane, I didn't know these things, I take authority over the devil that's made me weak and begin to proclaim, I am strong because Jesus says, He is my strength. And if Jesus is my strength, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Nothing is impossible with me. I don't need that cane no more. I'm going to walk without it. In the name of Jesus. It's written in the Word. Now then, if you see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ, you can pray the prayer of faith. Now then, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, which we talked at great length last night, tells us what we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart will bring the blessings of God. Now, last night, if you learned and believed that the word sozo means healed, and many of you had never heard the word sozo, let me ask the question, how many of you tonight have heard the word sozo? How many of you know what the word sozo means? Hey, praise God, that's a whole lot better than it was last night. Last night, almost nobody had heard the word sozo. But the word sozo means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. And if it means all those things and you're willing to confess that with your mouth and believe that with your heart, you can come against the devil with that scripture, you can beat the beast, and you can walk in divine health. I know I have done it for the last 20 plus years. It's a blessing to get to be where I am. You know how, you know, and some of you may feel just like I do, but when I look at myself in the mirror, I cannot believe, I cannot believe that this body has lived almost 68 years on this earth. I mean, life goes by in a hurry, doesn't it, brother? I mean, I look back and think, goodness gracious, Lord, I can remember when I was 20 thinking, man, I'm never going to get to be 21 so I can go do something. And then all of a sudden I looked up and I was 31. And then I was 41. And then I'm 51. I thought, good grief, when Daddy was 50, he was ancient. He had one foot in the grave and another on a banana peel, I thought. (laughs) And now then that I'm 67 going on 68, I've learned the promises of God. And I'm telling you what, you know what I feel like today? I feel like a 17-year-old. I realize that Jesus bore all my pain and removed my sickness and my disease. And he gave me the best benefit package in the world. He forgives all of my iniquities, heals all of my diseases, and satisfies my mouth with good things, saves me from the destruction, and crowns me with loving kindness. And he renews my youth like the eagles. Think, those Spaniards came over here years ago, and they were looking for the fountain of youth. And they probably had a Bible on board the ship and nobody read it. <laughs> they wouldn't have had to make that long trip if they had just studied the Word. The answer was in the Word of God. Now, that, But you'll have to claim these promises by faith and receive them by faith. And if you do, you don't have to get old as quickly as you would have if you go around saying, Oh, I'm over 50. I'm just so tired and so weak and so old. Hey, you're going to get old in a hurry with that kind of confession. But you don't have to get that way. You can be young. You can be vibrant. You can be strong. I've seen it happen over and over. 
Now then, let's look up some of these scriptures that tells us who we are in Him, in Christ. Let's look at some of these things. And then let's begin to confess, this is who I am. Since confession is so powerful, let's claim these things that belong to you and me from the Word of God. And you will see God move in your life and do great and mighty things if you will begin to see yourself and confess what the Word says over you as you fight this fight of faith. As you do this, you will see that your faith level will increase tremendously as your knowledge of the Word increases. What are our redemptive rights as Christians? Let's go look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Ephesians 1, 6 and 7. Let's see what comes with redemption. A few of the things. Remember, as you study the Word of God, you'll find out that the word redemption is only used in the area of salvation. When you get saved, you're redeemed. That means every sin you've ever committed was put under the blood, and you don't have to confess it. All you've got to do is just ask Jesus to save you, and he will. It says, anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Did he make that simple? He made it so simple anybody could get it. A four-year-old child. I have seen children three and four years of age. In fact, last night I was talking about Dr. Dodson. And one of the things I remember about him and my son, my son was four when he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I had read the entire Bible through to him one time by the time he was four. And Dr. Dodson heard him say one day, I was four when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, I wasn't quite that fortunate. I was 11 when I finally got the revelation. But it took me a little while longer. Ephesians 1, 6 and 7. To the praise of the glory of his, this grace, by whom he has made us accepted in the beloved. By what Jesus did, he made you accepted to God. So now you can walk into God anytime you want to. You're his son. This come with redemption. In him, verse 7, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He's washed away everything. It doesn't matter how bad you are and how wicked you had been. When you come to Christ, when he redeemed you, you became pure and white and clean, and he made you a son of God. I'm not a friend of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a joint heir with the king. I'm not a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm not afraid of the devil because greater is he, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that's in me than he who is in the world. So who's in you if greater is he? Who is in you? The king. Should we be afraid of anything with a king in us? No. Sickness and disease, do you have to be afraid of it? No. Just repent of your sins and drive that devil out and walk in divine health. That's what it takes. That's how easy it is. Now, what are we redeemed from? Let's think of some of these things. The number one thing we are redeemed from, what did he say? Sin. 
If He redeemed us from sin, every sin you've ever committed is under the blood. Are you supposed to sin anymore? No. Isn't that a shocker? That's a shocker. You know, I had when I got started on studying this for this outline and making these things, I was studying all over the New Testament about sinning, not sinning, what we redeemed from, and all these things. And I was finding all over the Word of God. Like, for instance, Matthew 5, 48. I've heard people say, what do you expect me to be, perfect? I said, well, God says in Matthew 5, 48, be ye perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is imperfect. So does He expect you and me to be perfect? Yes, yes He does. But, you know, I have Christians all the time when I say, you know, we're not supposed to sin. Come on, Thurman, give me a break. You know we're just unworthy sinners saved by grace. You know we have to sin all day, every day, and we come in and confess our sins at night. I said, if that's where you live, go ahead. But I ain't going to do that. I'm not going to believe I sin all day, every day. Not at all. I'm going to believe I am who Christ says I am in His Word. And that I am redeemed from sin, so I don't have to go out and sin no more. It's a choice I make. Every time I sin, it's a choice. You know that? Did you know every time I get mad, it's a choice? I don't have to get mad. As a Christian, I have the choice to choose to do anything I want to do today. Whether I want to have a good time today or whether I want to be miserable today. It's my choice. You have that same choice as children of God. You, the spirit person, has control over your body, and you don't have to do anything your spirit does not want you to do unless you just let the body and the devil take control of your body. And unfortunately, every one of us do that far too often as Christians. What else are we redeemed from besides sin? From the hand of the enemy. Who is the enemy? The devil. Let's go read some scriptures, and let's see where the Lord has not only redeemed us from the hand of the enemy, but He's given us authority over the devil. Let's go back to Hebrews 2.14. Go back a few pages to the book of Hebrews, to the very first part of the book of Hebrews, and let's go to verse, chapter 2, verse 14, and let's read there. Hebrews 2.14 Let's look at this. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, if Jesus said that by dying on that cross, he defeated him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you think the devil's been defeated? Our king, does he do good work? Yes, he does. He does good work. So if he defeated him that had the power of death, that is the devil, then the devil has been defeated. So why is the beast still running things? Good question, isn't it? Because the church does not know her authority and power and we cannot go beyond knowledge. And just like the devil beat up on me for the first 40 years of my life because I didn't know who I was in Christ and what I could do. But when I got a hold of it, I kicked that beast out. And now then, I walk in divine health. 
It's wonderful to learn who you are in Christ. Now then, let's go back to Colossians. Go a few pages back to the left again to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 13. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Well, let's read verse 12. That's such a good verse. Colossians 2, or Colossians 1, 12. Giving thanks, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us fit to be partakers of of the inheritance of the saints in light. Look at the next verse. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, or from the devil, and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So those of us that are believers, are we any more in the kingdom of darkness? According to the word, we're not. We've been translated into the kingdom of light. So why is it so many of us as children of God go back into the kingdom of darkness on a day-by-day basis? Why do we go out there into sin? Why do we go out there talking those negative things? Why don't we stay in the Word and believe the Lord? Why don't we walk wholly in His presence and walk in the kingdom of light? That's where the miracles and healings and and abundant life is, is at. I'll tell you why. One of the reasons we don't is because the pathway is so narrow. Let's say that I were to take from here to the back door and I were to put a little three-foot wide path. Now, three foot's pretty wide, isn't it? You know, I mean, three feet, anybody could walk a pathway three foot wide, right? Sure you could. It's not that hard. Jesus made us a narrow path. Let's say I put it up here, the, the plank or the walkway up on top of this uh, little article here and put one back there. And I was going to walk from here back there and it was daylight and you were going to have to walk. I asked anybody to come up here and walk this. No problem. Anybody could do it. Anybody could walk that pathway. But I said, well, the Word of God is going to be a lamp under your feet that's going to shine right in front of your feet And the Word of God is going to guide you on this path. Now then, I'm going to leave this same walkway here, and I'm going to turn all the lights out in the building and close every window. It's going to be pitch black. There's going to be one little light that's going to light just one foot in front of you, and you're going to walk that path. Now then, you're going to pay a little bit more attention because if you step off the side, it's only about four or five feet high, enough to hurt you if you fell off. So you're going to pay a little bit more attention. You're going to be looking at this light walking this path. But you can still do it. And then I say, you know, I'm going to make it a little bit more complicated. I'm going to leave the same path there, but I'm going to take outside out here, and I'm going to put 14 sacks of great big poisonous rattlesnakes to crawl around out here in the room. Now, see, that's what's out in the world. Those poisonous rattlesnakes... That's those serpents and scorpions that Jesus is talking about. And if they bite you, they will hurt you. They're not too good for you unless you know how to walk in faith. Let me ask you this question right here. Let's say you did 
step into a place where a poisonous spider or a poisonous snake were to bite you? What is the first thing you would do if you got bit by a poisonous snake or a poisonous spider? What would you do as children of God? Do you know a verse that will get you healed, guarantee it? Well, let me take you to one. I want you to go to Mark 16, verse 18. And I want you to see what Mark 16, 18 says about deadly poison. Is a snake deadly poison? Is a spider, some of them, deadly poison? Now, I want you to see a promise Jesus made you, and I want to see if you believe his word or not. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, what did he say would hurt you? What did he say in Mark 16, 18? Did he say deadly poison shall not hurt you? Did he say that? Anybody's Bible say that deadly poison will not hurt you? Okay, now let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been bitten by a spider or a snake or a wasp or a bee or anything that was poisonous and you went to the doctor instead of going to Jesus? Probably everybody. You're just not willing to hold up your hand. (laughs) You know why? How about a bee? A big bumblebee comes up and stings you on the neck. I taught a class one time there to a group of people and there was a mother there. And her husband, and she said, I have never thought about applying these principles to our lives. I said, welcome to the crowd. We've all been there and done that. But I said, Jesus made us a promise, didn't he? She said, he did. Well, the next time she was at Bible study, she brought her 18-year-old son. And he come running in. He said, I want to shake your hand. I said, well, who are you, son? He told me. And I said, why do you want to shake my hand? He said, you saved me a doctor's visit the other day. I said, well, what happened? He said, I was out in the yard with some friends, and we knocked over a deal out in the backyard, and there was a great big bumblebee's nest under it, great big black bumblebees. And before we could get away, one of those things ran up and stung me right in the neck right there. And immediately I had a great big red spot, and my neck began to swell. And I went screaming in the house, Mama! This is a 17, 18-year-old boy. Mama, you've got to take me to the doctor. I've got to have some medicine or something. She said, what happened? He said, a big bumblebee just stung me on the neck. She said, just a minute, son, I'm going to go get the medicine. She come back with a Bible in her hand. He said, Mama, what are you going to do with that? She said, I learned last week this is the best medicine in the world. He said, right here, Jesus said in Mark 16, 18, that no deadly poison shall hurt you. Laid his hand on said, you devil of hell, and that deadly poison, I command it to leave my son now, according to the word of God in Jesus' name. He said, just like that, the redness was gone and the pain was gone. He said, I ain't never seen nothing like this. It's been written in the Word of God for how long? 2,000 years. Did he make you a promise? Did he say, no deadly poison shall hurt you? Let me tell you. Show you how I applied that to myself. I've done it many times, different ways. But one of the most awesome things about 10 years ago, I was down on my farm digging post holes one day, building about a quarter of a mile of fence. And I had to come to a place where I had to make a turn in the fence. I'm having to put uh, fence corners there and anchors to hold it. Our deep soil there where I live is very deep and very black. And when it rains, it gets real soft. And if you don't put something in it to anchor the corner post, those tight wires will just pull a post out of the ground. 
So anyway, I was cut in with a trencher at the end to put an anchor, to anchor the post, and I trenched through about four foot across, about two feet down, about four inches wide with a trencher to put some concrete slab in there to hold the corner post. And when I did, I trenched through what we call in Texas a huge fire ant bed. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of fire ants up here. They may not be up here, but they're certainly in Texas. They're a little teeny tiny black ant, and they are so poisonous. I mean, when one of them little tiny ants sting you, he'll leave a whip four times his size on your hand, just like that. I mean, they're deadly poison. Well, I didn't see them little beasts. I was down there trenching, and the dirt fell back in the hole, so I'm out there in that green coastal, about this tall green as it can be, with that black dirt all over everything. And them little beasts are black, so you can't see them, you know. So I'm down on my hands and knees, reaching down under my gloves, cleaning out the loose dirt. And, of course, I'm getting black dirt all over me and not realizing I'm getting these little ants all over me, too. And so all of a sudden, all over my face and neck and my arms begin to burn like fire. I jumped up out there and thought, what in the world has got me? And I looked down, and my lens, I am covered with those little tiny black ants just stinging me all over. So, since that's what was here, I knew that's what was here. So I jerked my glove off, and I screamed, Father, in the name of Jesus, you made me a promise in Mark 16, 18, that no deadly poison shall hurt me. And I claim that now, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you. And bam. Every ant on my body exploded and left, and I didn't have an ant or a sting or a mark or a whip left on my body. Nowhere. Isn't that amazing what you can do in the name of Jesus? By faith? Now, what does the average person do when you get stung with that many ants? You try to get to a doctor. Well, let me tell you, by faith, the best doctor in the world is in you. And he doesn't charge now, not anything wrong with a doctor charging. They have to live like everybody else. You know, they, they have to live. And praise God for good doctors. We've got to have them because people don't know how to walk in faith. But if you can get a hold of these promises and stand on these promises, God said in His Word in Mark 16, 18, that no deadly poison shall hurt you. And then after that, He says you can lay hands on them and what will happen to them? What did he say? And, and you lay hands on the sick and they'll do what? They'll get healed. Did he make that hard? No. If you want to get somebody healed, what do you have to do? Lay hands on them. I see these fine little young men sitting down there in the front every night. I think about little Cody. When little Cody was like one of these young boys. Started out when Cody was six. They brought him to a healing school, and he'd had a problem all of his life, an enzyme problem. And without taking enzymes, every time he'd eat, he'd throw up his food. And started from a baby. If mother and daddy heard about my healing schools when he was six, they heard and they brought him to a healing school. He came up, and I told him. He, he listened. He sat and listened for four hours teaching a healing school. At the end, I went down to the front to pray for the people. Little Cody come running up first one. He said, Mr. Scrivener, I've got a problem, and I throw up every time I eat. I said, well, Cody, it's just a devil. 
And he told me what his name was. I didn't know him. He said, my name's Cody. I said, well, Cody, it's just a devil. I said, Jesus made you a promise. I, he told me I can lay hands on you. I can drive this devil out, according to Mark 16, 17, and 18. And I can lay hands on you and he'll heal you. I said, but you've got to believe. I said, he said, what does that mean? I said, you've got to totally believe God. That means if you really believe him, you don't need the medicine no more. He said, that's easy enough. I can believe Jesus for anything. He's only six. You know, a baby. I prayed for him. He left and went to running around playing. Prayed for a lot of people. In a little while, his mother and dad came up and said, we want you to pray for our son, Cody. I said, ma'am, I've already prayed for him. He said, no, 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 Cody, come over here. He, Cody, come over and he said, we need Mr. Scrivener to pray, pray for you. He said, oh, mama, he's already prayed for me. He cast the devil out of me. I'm okay. <laughs> son, come on, let him pray for you. No, mama, he already done it. It's over. She said, Cody, you're impossible, as he goes bouncing out the door. So they get home and fix, Mama fixes his supper and says, Cody, it's time to eat. So he comes in and eats. She said, now, Cody, here's your medicine. He said, Mama, I don't need that medicine. Jesus healed me. She said, look, Cody, I've just about had it with you today. Some of you mamas know what I'm talking about. You were very disrespectful down there to us. You didn't do what I asked you to do. And now then, if you don't take this medicine and you throw up, I'm going to bust your bottom. He said, that's okay, Mama. I'm going to trust Jesus. And I don't believe I'm going to throw up at all. I ain't never going to throw up again. But if you want to spank me, you can. But I'm going to trust Jesus. Little Cody has been back to the healing school many times. And he has never had another problem and has never taken another drop of medicine. And the little boy can eat anything he wants to. And a few months after that, Irene, his mother, came to a healing school with him and the dad, Chuck. And she said, I have to tell you what Cody did to me. I said, what do you mean? She said, the other morning I woke up with a great big red spot on my side. It was a boil. And she said, next morning I woke up, there was two of them there. They were big as a plate. And I went in and called the doctor and made an appointment. And Cody came bouncing in and said, Mother, did I hear you call the doctor? Well, yes, son. What do you need a doctor for? So, well, son, look at these things on my side. He said, Mother, don't you remember Pastor Thurman says those are just demons? And when you got power over them, Mama, I'll cast them demons out of you in the name of Jesus. She said, well, okay, son. He reached up and grabbed her on them things and said, you devils, you ain't going to have my mama. My mama takes good care of me. Now, you devils, come out of her in the name of Jesus. said, thank you, Lord. My mama's healed. said, mama, guarantee you're healed in the name of Jesus. I thought the faith of a child. Mama says in one hour those things were half the size. And so she called the doctor, canceled her appointment. That evening went to bed, woke up the next morning. They were both completely, totally gone. And when Cody looked at me, he said, See, Mama, I told you them devils had to go what I speak in the name of Jesus. Now, see, here's a boy that knows his authority. He listened well in a healing school. Now, did we just read that our Jesus destroyed the works of the devil? We just gave you scripture that said that, and we just gave you scriptures that told us that Jesus had delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of light. And then look at 127. He says in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, 
to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where is Christ today? He's in you and me as born-again Christians. Then I want you to go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, 14, and 15. I want you to see this awesome promise in Colossians 2, 13, 14, and 15. And you being dead in your sins. Now, how's God see you? Dead to your sins. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which is the law, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And then look at this verse 15. And having disarmed and having spoiled principalities, Satan and his demons, principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over Satan and his demons completely in the cross. Is that good news? If our Jesus disarmed the devil totally, completely, then how much armament does the beast have left over? None. Brother, if you and me had to fight a war and your enemy was armed with the finest weapons, you'd have to be on your guard, wouldn't you? But what if you were going to fight against an enemy that was a little ant on the floor crawling down there and a great big old boy like you and you walked up and the little ant looked up at you and said, you know, I'm fixing to hurt you. (laughs) Would you be intimidated? No. You just reach over and say, oh, yeah. (laughs) That's the way it is between us and the devil. When we repent of our sins, And we take away Satan's legal claim to us as children of God. All we got to do is drive out the devil after we repent of every sin. He only has power over you and me when we give it to him through sin. When we sin, he has claim to you. He can hurt you. When you go out, it's just like the police out here on this street in this city. Do you have to be afraid of the police as long as you obey the law? No. You can go get in your car and drive right down the road as long as everything's okay. As long as you're driving the speed limit, you don't have to be afraid of nobody, do you? But if you peel out out here and leave rubber halfway down the street and you're driving 60 by the time you get to the next block down there, you're looking around to see if there's anybody watching. Because if they are and you see them little lights coming, you know you've had it. You can't outrun them, can you? they got too many radios. You might outrun them for a little while, but you can't outrun them long. They're going to get you sooner or later. But as long as you don't sin, they have been triumphed over, totally disarmed, and they may be carrying their armament with them, but they cannot touch you without legal claim, can they, young lady? As long as you obey the laws of the land, they can't touch you, can they? No, no fear. 
None whatsoever. But when you disobey, the Lord clearly tells us. Romans 13, he lays that out. I saw the physical side of that a long time ago, but it took me a long time to see the spiritual side of Romans 13. But finally I saw it. I finally saw where God puts the physical law officers out there to take care of us physically. So if we break the rules, he said that's why we pay taxes to have these guys. But he said also if we sin spiritually, we have to be afraid because these beasts, which are Satan and his host of demons, they will come to get us. And they will. So if you don't sin, if you walk holy before God, you don't have to worry. Satan and his host of demons are completely defeated and disarmed and triumphed over. And until you sin and open the door to them, they will not and cannot touch you. Now then, to confirm that, I want to take you to a scripture in 1 John 5. Go back over to 1 John 5, and I want to show you what our Lord said in 1 John 5. 1 John 5, 14. 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Anything according to His will. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petition that we desired of Him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death. Ooh, that's scary, isn't it? You mean I can sin a sin that's unto death? Yes. There's many different sins that are sins unto death. I know a few of them, but I don't know all of them. He didn't put them in the book. Some of them I have learned through experience with people. And I've asked God, why did this man die? And he told me, he committed the sin unto death. Wow. You know what one of the sins unto death was? Not producing fruit for the kingdom of God. At a man one time, 55 years old, that died. He had married a woman when he was 45. And she said she was a Christian. And he was definitely a Christian. He went to church and served God with a youth leader and a Sunday school teacher and everything. When he married this woman, she told him she believed we could serve God and stay at home. I've heard that lots of times from lots of people. But that don't cut it with God. This man listened to his wife instead of being the spiritual head and said, No, honey, we're going to church. I've been in Sunday school. I've been a youth leader. I've been a teacher in the church. So I'm going to keep on doing it. But he didn't. He listened to her, and he quit going to church. And he quit going for ten years. At the end of ten years, he came down with brain tumors. He was a good friend of mine. I went down and spent all day with him after I heard he had these brain tumors, read the Word of God to him, prayed over him, and I just knew I had him healed. Did that on Monday. On Thursday, he died. On Sunday, we buried him. And Sunday on the way home, I said, God, you put me in this healing business. I've got to know what I did wrong. I said, I know it couldn't have been you. It had to be me or him. 
I said, Lord, if I committed a sin of some kind that kept you from hearing me, I want to know what it was so I can repent because I don't want this to happen anymore. And I stayed on the Lord's doorstep between two and a half and three hours and asked that question over and over and over until he answered. Finally said, son, you didn't do anything wrong. The problem's his. And he said, you'll find the answer that killed him in John 15:2. And I turned to John 15:2, and it says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And every branch in me that produces no fruit, I cut it off. Every time I go to a hospital to pray for someone, I ask them, are you a Christian? If they say yes, I say, are you going to church? And if they say, no, I haven't gone much in the last 10 or 15 years. I said, have you produced any fruit for the kingdom? Well, not really. Then I beg God for mercy for that person. That's all I can do. And I stand on the Word, and I pray for them, and ask God to be merciful. And sometimes He is. Sometimes He heals them. Sometimes He doesn't, because they have committed a sin unto death. This man had committed a sin unto death. The Lord clearly told me, spoke to me out loud, and said, He has committed the sin unto death. Because he stopped producing fruit for my kingdom. And then I came back to the Lord. I said, Lord, but it wasn't his fault. It was that woman. She was the one that got him out of church. (laughs) You women, this will be comforting to you women. God says, I didn't put her in charge of the family. I put him in charge of the family. And I hold him accountable For the family. Wow. What a burden that puts on us men. But God's no respecter of persons. He's God. And He means what He says in His book. And if we don't know it, He still holds us accountable for it. But He says here in 1 John 5, If any man sin, the sin unto death. If he does not sin a sin unto death, we shall ask, and he shall give him life. For him that does not sin the sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. Be careful. Don't sin. I do not say that you should pray for that one. So don't commit the sin unto death. It'll kill you. Ain't nobody can pray you out of the sin unto death. The only thing about it, he doesn't tell us what that is. I know three or four different things that have been the sin unto death for different people. I know one sin in the scripture that's written was a sin unto death for a man and a woman. Does anybody know what that was? It killed a man and a woman in the first church and killed them both instantly right in the church. What was it? What did they do? Lied about what? Lied about money. That's exactly right. They lied to God about money, and he killed them both just like that. Bam, bam. Ananias and Sapphira. Awesome, isn't it? It says, great fear fell upon the church. I can understand that. We come to church, we don't expect to see nobody die. If we were to see a couple come down here and pray, 
turn in some money or do something and give Pastor Milton some money and say, this is our tithe this week. And God says, no, that's a lie. Bam, bam. Both of them fell dead right there. Somebody said, what happened to them? Milton said, well, they come down and said they was going to give a tithe. But they put the money in there, but I don't know what happened. Both of them fell dead. Somebody said, well, look and see how much money they put in there. They look and say, well, they put $20 in there. And they said, that's a tithe? Obviously it wasn't. You walk outside and they drove up in a new Lexus, which cost $60,000. You don't drive a new Lexus and make $200 a week, do you? Not hardly. Not hardly. So don't lie to God. This is not a game we're playing. I mean, he's the king, is he not? He is the king, I'll tell you for sure. Then he says, all unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. I am so grateful that there is a sin not unto death. We know, verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? If you read that at face value, if you're born of God, you do not sin. That's tough. You know, I could not grasp that. I thought, God, I can't be your child. I can't be saved. I went back to the Greek and I read that and checked out in such detail. When I finally got through that, it says, those that are my children do not practice sinning. I thought, wow. That doesn't mean I can't never sin. Because if a son of God cannot never sin, then I'm not a son of God. Because I know I have sinned since I got saved. Just like all of you have. But it says you don't practice sinning. You may make a mistake every once in a while, but you don't go out and do the same thing every day. If you do, you're not a child of God. If you're not convicted of sin when you sin, you're not a child of God. He says, my children do not go out and practice sinning. That's what the Scripture says. And then after that, he says in verse 18, But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself from all sin, and that wicked one, which is a devil, cannot touch you. Is that what it said? So if you're a child of God and you don't sin, what can the devil do to you? What? Nothing. How would you like to be able to walk amongst the police officers in their fine uniforms and look up at them and smile knowing they're not going to never bother you. They're just there to help you. But if you walk through that and you've been in some kind of gross sin and you walk out... The boys that was there to protect you can be something else. Once in a while you see one of these drug deals on television where they went into a house and they knocked down the door and they dragged men and women out screaming and kicking. Anybody ever seen that on the news? Sure. Everybody has us watch the news. Those guys that were so gentle and kind, they become a different breed of people whenever they're attacking people that do those kind of things, don't they? They're not gentle. They're rough. And they have to be. Well, that's the same way the devil is. If you're guilty of sin, you can't walk among him. He will get you and attack you. But if you're not guilty of sin, he cannot touch you. Praise the King. It's a privilege to be here tonight. Praise the Lord.
There's not anything like serving the king. And as you serve the king, there are some great and awesome things that you will learn as you read the word. And when the word of God becomes an owner's manual to you instead of just a book, you will read it and study it. Now then, as many of you know, maybe all of you, I very rarely ever watch television, but I have watched a little news today. And the reason I've watched a little news is because there's a war going on in Israel. Well, there's been a war going on in Israel forever, but today it's escalating. And, you know, there's really getting with it over there. People are dying, bombs and rockets are being fired and all kinds of things. And I am so convinced that we are in the last seconds of the last days before our king returns. I don't know how far away that is, but I don't believe it's very far away. But I may be wrong. But in the meantime, until the king comes, he's with us, in us, and has given us power over the enemy. Now then, if you know these things that we're going to talk about as we continue to talk about how to fight the fight of faith and Right here tonight, I'm going to stop in this fight of faith and show you some of the things that you can do to fight this fight of faith that's in the Old Testament and under the law. And when I first read or heard this story years ago, there was a little town in South Texas in World War II that had a bunch of their men called into the military to go to World War II. Well, that's back in the days when we were mostly Christians. You know, that's when you could go to a town and everybody went to church and there was not very much uh, evil and wickedness around because so many people knew Jesus as Lord and Savior, you know, and it was not illegal to pray in schools. You know, we still prayed in schools and we didn't have judges telling us we couldn't talk in the name of Jesus. But today, we as Christians have taken a back seat and sat down and we've come, become a social club instead of a warrior like God told us to be. And by be, taking the back seat, we have allowed the world to run over us. And we've done it. We've just literally backed off and let the devil take control of us when he has no power over us. He's a defeated foe, a defeated enemy, stripped of all of his power and armament. And he comes in with his snarling and makes us think he's somebody when he really is nothing. And we let him run over us. Well, this little town in South Texas, when their men were called to war, these people were Christians. They went to church together. They loved God together. And they had a bunch of loved ones, fathers and sons, and that were going to go off to war. And so they took this book out of the book of the Bible, Psalms 91, and somebody went down every day and they took every picture of every man that went to war and they put their pictures on a big bulletin board out in front of the town hall. And somebody went down there every morning and every evening and prayed and quoted Psalms 91 over every one of these pictures of these men. Now then, the word is true. And guess when the war was over, guess how many of those men came home? All of them. That's exactly right. And guess how many of them had an injury? None of them. 
A coincidence, I guess you would say. No, I don't think so. In fact, my uncle, uh, he is dead now, but uh, he also was called to war. He was raised in a Christian home by a mother and father that loved God with all their heart, along with the other seven children. There was eight children in his family. He was one of the sons. And his mother and daddy prayed these kind of verses over him when he went to war. He told me a story that he was in a heated battle in Germany. And the bombs and bullets were going everywhere. And he said, all of a sudden, all the shooting stopped from our side. And he said, it got less and less. And finally, I didn't hear anybody shooting. And he said, I was out of ammunition. So said, of course, I couldn't shoot. And said, all of a sudden, in that hazy, foggy, wee hours of the morning where we'd been in an intensive battle, I tried to find a man that I could talk to. And every man laying beside me or around me or anywhere was dead. He said, I couldn't find a single one that was alive. And then he said, I heard the Germans coming into our camp. So he said, I fell on the ground. He said, the Germans came in. He said, they would walk up and there would be a man that was dead. Maybe it had blood all over him. They'd turn him over, take his dog tags off of him and run a bayonet through his chart. Pull the bayonet out. Said they looked over at me. There I am, not a drop of blood on me. One of them kicked me in the side and rolled me over and said, looked at me, reached down and grabbed my dog tags off of me and jerked off and walked off. He said, whenever they all left, I lay there lifeless until I knew they were all gone, not a sound nowhere. He said, when I got up, and started crawling around there in the wee hours of the morning trying to find one man that was alive. In my entire platoon, there was not one man lived but me. And he said, I didn't have a scratch on my body. Now, he had a mother and daddy back at home was reading this psalm over him. Isn't it amazing that those Germans would kick a man over right here, and here he has got bullet holes in him, got blood all over him, and they'd still run a bayonet through him. And then they'd kick this one over, and he ain't got a blood spot, mark, nothing on him, but they didn't touch him. Again, just a coincidence, I know. No, he had the protection of the Word of God being spoken over him by a mother and a father back at home. I want us to go to Psalms 91 to start out tonight on our walk on how to fight this fight of faith. And I want to show you what God says he will do for you if you will do what he tells you to do. Now, everything in the Word of God has a requirement from you and me. And Psalms 91, the Lord says here, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Well, let me ask the question. What does it mean to abide in the secret place of the Most High? What does it mean? It means when you wake up in the morning. Let's go back to this. For those men of you that can still remember, and some of you that are young, you well know what I'm saying. When you were a young man, you married this beautiful woman. 
and you're on your honeymoon. And you woke up this morning, you didn't get out of bed and go see what was on for breakfast. You turned over and put your arm around that beautiful thing that was laying beside you. Is that true? Oh, yeah, that's true. You wanted to be as close to her as you could. Now, over the years and time, sometimes those things change, but they shouldn't. Now, with God, they definitely should not change. When we wake up in the morning, the first thing on our heart should be, Thank you, Lord. Even before you turn over to pat that beautiful thing that's laying beside you as your mate, the first thing you should say is, Lord, I want to thank you that you let me wake up this morning. I want to worship you and praise you and thank you that you're mine and my mates, God. That you're our Lord and our Savior. And Lord, I can't wait till I can get up and spend a little time with you in the Word. I want to just praise you. And if you lay there, lay there and think about the Lord. Worship Him and praise Him and thank Him. He loves that time with you. He loves it. Just like you ladies. You ladies, as some of you have told me, you loved it the other night when I had your husband stand up and look you in the eye and tell you they loved you and to give you that kiss. Well, let me tell you guys, you need to do that real often when you're at home even. You know, it might change things in your house if you would tell that girl you love her. Because men, if you haven't realized it yet, those ladies, they never get tired of you buying them a birthday card. There's a lady over shaking her head right now. Praise God, she loves it. These ladies never get tired of you buying them a birthday card, taking them out to dinner, telling them how much you love them and how beautiful they are. They never get tired of that. In fact, they need that. Now, don't be like the guy that his wife got so depressed and she just wouldn't do anything around the house. She's moping around. And he finally said, what's wrong with you? Oh, she said, there's nothing wrong with me. Oh, yeah, there's something wrong. Finally, he takes her to a specialist. And they sit and talk. And the specialist talks to her and finds out that she says, well, my husband never tells me he loves me. Oh, he said, that's the problem. So he talks to the husband, and the husband said, well, I don't know what you mean when you say I'm supposed to give a demonstration of my love to her. He said, let me show you. And he reaches over, and he gets the woman. He pulls her up close to him. He hugs her right quick, and he really kisses her beautifully. He said, she needs this at least twice a week. He said, okay, sign me up for Monday and Thursday, and I'll bring her in every Monday and Thursday. (laughs) That's not what the guy meant. She needs that from you, her husband. And if you will do that, not on Monday and Thursday, but every day of the week, you'll have a woman that'll do wonderful things for you. You've got to love your spouse. Now then, this is what God is talking about here when he says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God. Now you have to dwell with God in that secret place. If you're not in the Word, if you don't know who you are, and it's amazing to me the men that are I meet regularly that have been in church many years of their life, that may be 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 or 70 years old, and I say, quote me your favorite verse, and they don't know one. 
Now, that's a shame. Now, that man or woman, whatever you are, that does not know any verses from God's Word, you have never dwelt in the secret place of the Most High. You never got there. Because if you have dwelt in the secret place of the Most High, you will have Scriptures running over the top. You'll have the Word of God hidden in your heart. But if you want to walk with no sickness and no disease, this is where you've got to walk with God. Just like the first commandment says, you've got to love Him with all your heart and you've got to put Him first. And that don't mean just when you become a Christian. Now, don't be like some people. Some people, when they get saved and they're new in Christ and they start reading the Word and they see all these wonderful promises, they just get go crazy about serving God. And then, of course, some of the older Christians will pat them on the back and say, that's okay. God does wonderful things for you when you're a new Christian, but it'll wear off. Just be patient. And we ruin or steal their faith from them. What a shame. We should never do that. We as older Christians, we say, hey, if you think it's something God doing something wonderful for you now, you wait till you really dwell in the secret place of the Most High, and you wait till you get more of them scriptures in your heart, you ain't seen nothing what God's going to do for you. In other words, whet their appetite, because you want to see them get out there and do some wonderful things for Jesus, lead people to Jesus, get people saved, and do all these wonderful things. And when you pray, you want to see God show up and do awesome things, and He will. He'll do it. He's done it for me. I can talk to you out of experience. I know God does these things because I've seen him do thousands of things, not one or two. I can remember when in my Baptist church where I was a member for years and as a deacon, and everybody knew and noticed when I began to step into this world of faith. And I remember one year at a Christmas party, one of them asked me, Thurman, what good things has God done in your life this year? I said, wow, it can't get no better than this. I said, I've seen six miraculous, wonderful things. I've been over to hundreds of people's homes this year, and I've seen God heal six people this year. It can't get no better than this. Well, let me tell you, it got a whole lot better than that. I've seen him heal six people on one Saturday afternoon at one healing school now. I mean, God has done wonderful things, but that's where my faith was back in those days. But look what he says here. If you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, you shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And when you abide under the shadow of the Almighty, that's dwelling right in the presence of God. What a wonderful place to be. Then you have to learn to confess, like the Word says in the next verse, verse 2. It says, I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge, He is my fortress, He's my God, and Him will I trust. Now, you've got to vocally talk about Jesus everywhere you go. You've got to know He's your God. You've got to know He's your Lord. He's got to be real to you so that everywhere you go in the course of the day, you're talking to Him, you're te- taking His name to before people and you're confessing the name of Jesus. Now, you're not using God's name in vain. Some people, Monday morning when they go to work, will fit right in with the rest of the boys or girls. In fact, Ty and I went by Walmart last night, and we dropped the girls off, and we thought we'd go back and get a little uh, something. One of the families here gave us a beautiful bucket of 
strawberries and uh, cherries. And Ty said, wouldn't a bowl of ice cream be great to go with those cherries and strawberries? And I said, yes. So we went by Walmart to go in to get that. We went to check out. It's obvious the family that was in front of us did not know our king. The words and the words of profanity that came out of their mouth was awesome. My heart broke. I thought, wow, Lord. There's a family with children that will use these foul words right here in the store. Out loud in front of us and their children. They don't know you. How sad. How sad. But it says, you will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my strength. And if you'll do all these things, if you're willing to do that, you're not ashamed of the king. Then look at the results. He tells you in verse 3, surely he, God, shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, the devil, and from the noisome pestilence or the raging epidemic. Is that a good promise, young lady? I love that, don't you? Who's going to deliver me from all this? The God of heaven, the King of kings and Lord of lords. All I got to do is dwell in his secret place and say he is my Lord and my God. If he's going to keep me from the devil and keep me from all the raging epidemic, then do I have to be sick anymore? Nope. Don't have to be sick. Do I have to be concerned about the devil? Nope. I mean, if God is walking with you and he's keeping you safe from the devil, you don't have to worry about the devil. God's going to take care of you. You can walk in the abundant life. You can walk in health. You can walk in divine health. But you've got to do it God's way. He can't do it my way. He can't do it your way. You've got to do it God's way. He don't listen to anything except the way he does it. Then he says in verse 4, He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings... Shall you trust, and his truth shall be your shield and buckler. So where do you learn that truth? Read the book. Believe what it says. And that seems to be a very difficult thing to do. I know. I've been there and had to do those things. Then he says in verse 5, You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day. You don't have to be afraid of nothing. So as Christians, if we're walking in obedience to the word, it's kind of like driving down the road, the speed limit. When you're driving down the road, the speed limit, do you have to be concerned about the police? Are you afraid of them? No. Can they stop you? No. But what if you're driving from here to Joplin and you're in a hurry and you're on the freeway or whatever and you say, I got to get there in a hurry and I'm driving 90. If you come over a hill and there's a radar there, what's the first thing happens when you see that or your little radar beeps? What's the first thing happens? Your heart stops three times. It misses three beats. Why? Because you know you're guilty. And if that guy happens to get you, you can beg, plead, do anything you want to do. But that guy's going to give you a ticket. If you're going 90, it may be two or three or four hundred dollars. And then you think, I wonder why. And of course, then he holds you up for 20 minutes while he checks your license and your insurance. And then you have to drive the speed limit from there to the rest of it. And you're really late, plus you're short, three or $400 when you get there. So you were really dumb, you know it? We were really dumb. But that's the way we do things. We don't do it God's way. Now then, if you had prayed 
and ask the Lord if you'd been hiding this in, in your heart and doing what he said, he would have made things happen so you would have got there on time. There would have been no problems, nothing. I mean, it's amazing if you're about God's business how he will make things work out for you. I mean, I mean, just like coming up here. We'd been doing God's work all day long, Saturday. We'd been teaching a healing school. And we finally got through and got out there at 6.45. We went rushing out to DFW airport to get on an airplane to fly to Tulsa. Then so we could get a car and drive up here so we could be here Sunday morning. We get out there, and when we get there, the guy's late picking us up at the car park where we park. We had to call him. On the phone. He finally got over there. And then instead of taking us down below where they're supposed to to check the luggage, he took us up to the top. So we had to carry our bags all the way to the check-in counter. When we got there, it was about 38 minutes till flight time. We got plenty of time, we think. No problem. He looks at his watch and he said, 40 minutes is a cutoff. I said, for what? He said, you'll have to carry all your bags on board. I said, sir, what kind of an airplane is it? And he didn't say. I said, if it's not a, I said, these huge bags, we can't carry on board. He said, then that's your problem. You should have been here earlier. My wife automatically said, I need a supervisor. And she goes looking for a supervisor. And she finds some lady over there that's a supervisor. And she said, ma'am, we are pastors. We've been about the Lord's business. And we may be a second or two past 40 minutes, but we got to get on this flight to Tulsa. And the girl says, well, I can approve it up to 35 minutes, and y'all are within 35 minutes. So she checked our bags and let us go. But we thought for a minute we wasn't going to make it. But see, if you're about the Lord's business, he will make a way. And he did for us that day. Now, the Lord says here in verse 6, after he talks about, no, you don't have to be afraid of the error. That night, or by or the terror by night, or the error by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes that noonday. What is he talking about here? What is all this stuff that's coming up on the world? Is there any kind of thing like this going on? Oh, yeah. It's all around us, isn't it? I mean, just like also a while ago when I was watching the news in Israel... I heard some news also out, I believe it was in Phoenix, I believe it was. There's a couple of people out there that's gone crazy and killed 11 people. Just at random. And so the whole city of Phoenix is in a panic and people are afraid to go out because somebody is just killing people for no reason. I mean, there's terror everywhere in there. And then, of course, while I was looking at the news, as some of you know, I looked at the thousands of acres of land all over the west that's burning. And then, amazing, virtually never happened, a huge tornado hit right at this edge of New York City and tore up a whole bunch of stuff. Never been no tornadoes in New York City, but there was today. Isn't it amazing at the terror? Can you imagine being in one of those big buildings and Working there and looking out the window and coming straight for you is about a half a mile wide monster that's blowing about 260 miles an hour. That's traveling about 20 or 30 miles an hour. And that means you don't have time to get out of that building and get down if you're way up there. 
Will that strike terror in your heart? It will if you're not a Christian. And it will if you don't know these promises. But if you know these promises and you call God and remember these promises, I'm going to guarantee you this can't touch you. I said, you might be the only one that lived, just like my uncle in that war. He was the only one out of that platoon that came back alive. I wonder why. Just a coincidence, I know. No, he had a mom and daddy at home that loved him and was reading the word over him. That's why that boy made it back home. It was, there's no coincidence or no accidents in life. It all revolves around the word of God. Then he says, wow, look what he says in verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. Hey, that's a lot of people. But it shall not come near you. Now, what was the requirements for you to receive these great and awesome things from God? In verse 1 and 2. Dwelling with the Lord. Making Him number one in your life. Doing what He says. Saying, the Lord is my Lord and my God. And Him will I trust. I'm not ashamed of Him. That's what will keep you safe. In verse 8, only with your eyes will you behold and see the reward of the wicked. You may see it. You may see tornadoes. You may see storms. You may see wars. You know, a lot of the men I went to Vietnam with didn't come back. A lot of them died. A lot of them came back in pieces or physically, mentally handicapped. I came back without a scratch. Just a coincidence. No. No coincidence. I had a mother and dad that prayed for me also. Verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation or your dwelling place, Because you have made God number one in your life. Now, there's a lot of people in this church tonight that have, up until today, has not made God number one in their life. You come to church once in a while. Maybe you come every Sunday. But Sunday through Saturday, or the next Monday morning through Saturday, you're your own man or woman. You do your own thing. You don't pray in the morning when you get up. You don't read the Word during the week. You don't make God number one. You only give Him one day a week. God calls us spiritual prostitutes when we do that. You know, Ty had an awesome experience with God. He was doing some things like that, although he's a great man of God. And he had done some things he wasn't supposed to do. And I'll share with you how simple it was. I mean, he's an A&M graduate. He's a doctor. And he's a retired doctor now. And he loves God with all his heart. And I don't know hardly anybody that spends more time with God than Ty does. I mean, he gets up early in the morning and spends the first two hours every morning with God. Almost every morning. Puts him first. Loves him and serves him. Reads his word. Is about the master's business every day, all day long. On a regular basis. Praises God. Loves him and worships him. But during football season, he had a little problem. 
I mean, you know, he, he never cut God short on Sunday. He always comes to church on Sunday. It didn't make no difference who's playing. He's still in church. But during the beginning of football season, since he was an A&M graduate, he wanted to know who was going to be playing for the Aggies. And so he would spend a little time on the computer. He'd get up in the morning. Instead of going directly to the Word, he'd turn on the computer and he'd start looking through every morning to see who was going to be chosen to play with Aggies. He did it for a few days. Maybe spend 30 minutes or an hour, you know, messing around on the computer. Then he'd go to God's Word and he'd study for a couple hours. After a few days of that, one morning there he's looking and also interested in who's going to play And all of a sudden the Lord said, Ty, he heard him speak to him. He said, Ty, you're a whore. He said, God, I'm a whore? He said, yes, you're spending more time with the world than you do with me. This is supposed to be my time. Well, let me tell you what, he turned the computer off. (laughs) Didn't you, Ty? Yes, he did. Now, isn't that amazing that God would call one of his men that spend so much time with him, but yet he was only taking a few minutes out every morning to look at the Internet about football? But see, that was supposed to have been the time he had dedicated to the Lord. He had dedicated those first two hours when he wakes up every morning to God. He started taking part of that time and spending it with the world. And after a few days, the Lord didn't like it. And I don't, I wouldn't like it if he called me a whore, would you? Absolutely not. But that's what he called him. A prostitute, in other words. But that's not the words he called. That's what he actually said, you're a whore. That's what he called him. Well, Ty didn't like that either. So let me tell you, he stopped that nonsense. And he started spending time with God when he's supposed to. Because see, God was giving him a warning. Giving him a warning. See, when God warns us in spoken words, through the Spirit, or in dreams and visions, He's trying to get our attention to prevent us from having to suffer something serious. That's what He's trying to do. Now, if you hear His voice and do what He says, He'll do great things. Now, it says here in verse 10, If we make Him the Lord, because we have made the Lord, which is... My refuge, even the Most High, my habitation, there shall no evil befall you. Neither shall any plague, sickness, come near your dwelling. Is that an awesome promise from God? Is it look like it would be worthwhile to make Him, the Most High God, your dwelling place? If you make Him, the Most High God, your dwelling place... And he promises you that he'll keep you free from the devil and no sickness and disease will come near your house. You can save that two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month that you spend for a medical plan on something else. You won't have to have it. You won't ever need it. Since I learned these things, I don't have a medical plan other than the best one in the universe. And it don't cost me nothing. It's the Word of God. I don't have to worry about going to a doctor or hospital. I have learned how to step into the world of faith and do exactly what this book says. And Jesus keeps me free 
of all sickness and disease. And the last 20 plus years, I've not had one single sick day of no kind. And when I've done something to my flesh, medically, or physically, I mean, or something, if I hurt myself or do something or tear myself open or do something, you know, working with equipment or doing something stupid, I always stand on the Word and the Lord always heals me. Just like the other day. We were out at GLC where we do our television show. And Al Cooper, the owner of God's Learning Channel, he said he has moved one of my television programs to early in the morning when he gets up so he can watch me in the morning to build his faith. And he said the other day, the guy is several years older than me, but he said I was out on the ladder doing some stuff the other day. And, of course, the young man, the programmer that does our programming, he said I tried to get the boss, to let me get up on that ladder and do that work, and he wouldn't do it. He said, I can do it. You've got other things to do. He said, I'm young. I can do it. So he gets up on the ladder. Here he is, 75 or at least that may be older. He gets up on the ladder, and he's up there doing some things, leaning way over, doing some wire with a big old knife, cutting some wire, and the ladder starts to fall. Well, he starts to fall, so he tries to straighten himself up, and before he can catch himself, he reaches down to grab this and comes this and right across his hand right there, all the way to the bone with that sharp knife, he rips it wide open. The blood just gush. He said, I looked at that and thought, oh my gosh, I got to go to the doctor and have a bunch of stitches put in that. And then he said, I thought to myself, I've been listening to Thurman teach the Word of God every morning. And he says, by faith, nothing's impossible. He said, Lord... All I need is a band-aid just to pull it back together. You did promise to heal all of my problems, so I'm going to trust you on this one. So he said, went in and saw my daughter, actually granddaughter. She's about 25 years old. And said, granddaughter, get me a piece of tape and tape my hand together. She said, granddaddy, we got to wash that up and take you to the doctor. He said, nope, I ain't going. I ain't going to show no unbelief. Just put me a piece of tape. Pull it across, tape it up, and I'm going back to work. She said, Granddaddy, that's so deep and so wide. If I put a Band-Aid on it and pull it back together, at least go in and sit down. He said, no, that would be unbelief. He said, I'm going back to work. So she put the Band-Aid on it, and he went back out there and finished his electrical work. And when I was there on set, Cheryl and I the other night, he said, I want you to look at my hand. Just five, four days later. And I looked at his hand, and I said, wow, how'd you cut that open? And he told me, and I said, well, wow, those stitches are really nice. He said, yeah, isn't that nice? But he said, they're not really there. I said, what do you mean? I looked down and looked. I said, hey, there is no stitches in there. But I said, it looks like every eighth of an inch is a stitch there. He said, I know, isn't that wonderful how God put that piece of flesh back together? And until you really look, you would think there were stitches in his hand. God stitched them up, and the hand in five days was almost totally, completely healed. In five days, he trusted God. Now, see, that's what we sing about up there a while ago. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. When we really walk by faith and we believe God, he shows up, and he can heal your hand a whole lot faster than you can get it done, and a whole lot cheaper than if you go down to the doctor and have them sew it up. But now if you're not there and you don't have that faith, like I say, you better find you a very good Christian doctor because you will need him at times in your life. But the Lord says there, 
No evil shall befall you, neither shall any plague, that word means sickness, come upon your dwelling place or your body. That's a promise from God if you'll be obedient to serve Him. He'll keep you free. This is walking by faith. You don't have to be sick. The church has got to get past this mentality. Well, if I'm not going to be sick, how am I going to die? You know, when I start teaching somebody, well, good grief, how am I going to die if I'm not sick? Don't you know that God can just take away your breath and bring you home? You don't have to be sick and lay in a hospital for weeks or months or give all of the money you've made all of your life to a hospital before you go home. You can leave that for your children and your grandchildren as an inheritance instead of spending it in a doctor's office. Now, some doctors are extremely expensive. I mean, extremely. And of course, I realize they spend a lot of money, you know, and getting an education and all that stuff. And uh, so they do charge you pretty good, some of them. Now, there's some out there that's not quite so expensive. Then it says here in verse 11, For he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. Now, how many of you believe you have an angel or angels given to you to watch over you and protect you? I do. I have seen mine. In fact, I will tell you something that I did not tell you the other night when I told the story about Caitlin and how God raised her up from the dead and did all the things he did. And how I walked through that hospital at Cook's Medical Center in Fort Worth, Texas, and saw God do all those wonderful miracles with all those children, and I saw God heal. It was just an awesome privilege that in the 30 days I was there to see him raise up so many children off their deathbed and heal them. But you know, you've read in the scriptures where the Lord says, our, our Lord, Jesus, he said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Did he say that? Yes, he did. So if he was pleased with his son, his son Jesus came, and as Jesus came, what did he do? He healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, and raised the dead, didn't he? And then he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. You go do likewise. But we hadn't done a very good job of that. I will say, as a Baptist deacon and a Sunday school teacher, all those years I did a very lousy job in doing what my Lord told me to do. I was doing the best I knew with what I had, but I didn't have this revelation. But as I was walking through that hospital, praying for those children, casting out demons, in fact, I'll tell you another, uh, before I get to this, I'll tell you that one of the other testimonies that I didn't tell you the other night, I didn't have time in the interest of time, but there was a couple came to me, had a little boy by the name of Bray, and his daddy came to me the second week, and he said, Mr. Scrivener, I've heard about what happens when you pray for people. He said, my son is two years old. He's here in this hospital. We're waiting for, it was either a kidney or a liver or something. I forget now. But anyway, some major organ transplant. He said he was born here two years ago and we have never been home. Two years. And they had not been able to find an organ that fit. He said, would you pray for my son? I said, of course. So I talked to him and his wife, and I found their sins. 
I got their sins all repented of. And I walked into the room with the daddy. Here's a little tiny two-year-old baby. And when I walked in, this little guy looks like a farmer out in the field that's been working in a 100-degree temperature. Beads of sweat are all over him. I knew he was in excruciating pain. You don't sweat like that in an air-conditioned hospital unless something's wrong. I reached up. There was two nurses, one on each side of the bed. When I saw him, I just pushed one of the nurses aside. I said, ma'am, would you move out of my way? And I walked up to that bed, and I reached in and grabbed him by the shoulders. And I said, Satan, your legal right to this boy has been removed. Mom and daddy has repented. I said, I rebuke you and I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. I said, because it is written in Mark 16, 17, and 18, I command you to come out and go to the pit of hell. I said, now, Lord, heal him in Jesus' name. I stood up and said, guarantee the king I serve has healed him. And two weeks later, little Bray went home from the hospital for the first time in his life. That night, as I walked out of the hospital, down the corridor, two or three o'clock in the morning, nobody nowhere. I'm walking down the corridor kind of slow. I'm not in a hurry. I have no place to go except home and sleep and come back the next morning. All of a sudden, I hear faster steps, and they overtake me. And then the man slows down to the same speed I'm walking. And when he does, I turn to look. And it was a man about five foot ten. It looked like he weighed about 160, 170. And when I turned to look, he was looking directly in my eyes. And he said, the Lord said to tell you, he loves you. I thought, who is this guy? And I stopped. He never even broke stride. He just kept right on. I watched the guy walk down to the end of the corridor and go to the left. I thought, I wonder where that guy came from. I don't know him. What does he mean? The Lord said to tell you he loves you. Or the next week, about the same time of the week, about the same time of the morning, I've been casting out demons and healing the sick every day in that hospital. And the same thing happened another man. Same way. Different man. Same exact thing. And when he walked up beside me and I turned to look at him, He was looking directly in my eyes, and he said, The Lord said to tell you, He loves you. And he just kept right on walking. Again, I stopped, and I thought, Who is this? Where did these guys come from? The next week, the fourth week, same thing happened. Another man, same size, did the same exact thing. This time, when he did what he did, I was only about six or eight steps from the quarter that went to the left where he had been turning. And when he said that, and he just kept walking, he walked around the corner. I said, I don't know who these guys are, but I'm going to find out. And I ran to the edge of that quarter and turned left, and I could see 50 yards down that quarter. And there was nobody in that quarter. I stopped and looked at them, and I said, Lord, those are my angels. I said, in the greatest time of test of my life, you sent those men by to tell me I am within your perfect will. I thank you, Lord, for sending those guys. Wow. Does the psalm say he'll send his angels? Yes. You never know. Paul says, be aware. 
You never know when you entertain strangers. They may be angels. You never know when you come in contact with someone who they are, do you? No, you don't. You really don't. So be aware. But the Lord says there in verse 12, He said, They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now, if you're walking in obedience to God's Word, technically speaking, you should never have a broken bone. If you have been a person that has had broken bones in your life, you're under some kind of a curse, especially if you've had more than one broken in your life. You were under a curse because of some sin in your life. You need to repent of those sins and claim some of the scriptures we're going to talk about when we go from Psalms 91 back into the New Testament. We're going to talk about how you can break these curses and how you can claim this and how you can get free so you won't ever have another one. But if you're walking in obedience to God's Word, He sends His angels and gives them charge over you. And as long as you're walking totally in obedience to His Word and not walking in no kind of sin, these angels are sent to your charge to help you and they will bear you up so you do not even dash your foot against a stone, much less break a bone. They will be there to protect you and keep you as you walk through life. I heard a preacher speak the other day, and obviously he don't know this. Because he had said something, he told a joke about a man that broke a bone in his body. And then he goes in to say, I probably have more broken bones than anybody in here has ever had. Maybe all of you put together. And he began to tell the number of bones that he had broken and how many times he had broken them in his life. And when I got through listening to that guy say, I think every bone in his body had been broken once or twice. I couldn't believe when I heard him. I thought, this guy don't have a clue about the promises of God. He does not know or understand the curses. He's never been given that revelation. But he should never have had a broken bone. But the Lord says you've got to know these things and receive them by faith. Then he says after that, at verse 13... He said, you shall tread upon the lion and the adder. Now, who do you think that is? That's Satan and his host of demons we're talking about. This is not a physical lion on this earth. He says, you shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon. That's the devil himself. Shall you trample underfoot? You don't have to be afraid of the devil. If you're afraid of the devil, you don't have a clue who you are. You don't have a clue who you are in Christ. You know, I used to be afraid of the devil. Somebody started talking about the devil, I thought, you know, let's don't talk about him. We might excite him and he might come hurt us. But I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what our Jesus had done to him. I didn't know the power he had given me as his son I didn't know that all power had been given to me and you over the devil. I didn't know the devil had to be subject to me in the name of Jesus. I didn't know I could lay hands on someone and drive out a demon and get them healed. I didn't know none of those things. I was a normal Christian. (laughs) 
That's sad, isn't it? And I was a Sunday school teacher and a deacon. What a shame. I didn't believe the promises. And then he says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Do you know the name of the king? His name Jesus, isn't it? You better know that name and know what you can do with that name. When you begin to search through the scriptures, you'll find out over and over and over what you can do with the name of Jesus. You can cast out devils. You can heal the sick. You can cleanse the lepers. You can raise the dead. Anybody in here ever seen anybody raised from the dead? You ever heard of anybody raised from the dead? Wow. There's been several. I know of a few. In fact, I had one in my life. It's such a experience. A man worked for me for 20 years. His name was Otho Wayne Jackson. He was a church of Christ. He didn't believe in none of the promises of God when it comes to healing. I mean, him and his wife had many surgeries. I tried to talk to him, tried to get him to believe God's word. He wouldn't. He wouldn't, unfortunately, because his preacher didn't preach them. So he wouldn't believe these promises. I could show them to him and have him read them, and he still wouldn't believe it. I mean, Thurman, those promises went away with the apostles. No, no. You can't find that in the Word nowhere. But he wouldn't believe. Well, one night, many years ago, Bo's about two years older than me, so right now he'd be about 69 or 70. But 10 or 12 years ago, whatever it was, in the wee hours of the morning, his son-in-law, which is a paramedic, called me. He said, Thurman, I thought I'd call you and let you know we lost Bo tonight. He had a massive heart attack and he died. I said, he died? He said, yes. I said, he is perfectly healthy when he went home this afternoon. He said, I know. But he said he had a heart attack earlier tonight and died. He said, we've shock treated him. We've done everything known to man. And I finally give up. He said, in the last 20 or 30 minutes, we've not had a single pulse or a heartbeat. So he said, he's gone. I said, let's pray. He said, Thurman, you didn't hear what I said. He's dead. It's too late to pray. How many of you know it ain't never too late to pray? I said, it ain't never too late to pray. I said, you're not going to pray with me? He said, no. I said, then in the name of Jesus, I command this devil of hell, this spirit of death, to come out of Bo Jackson. In the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of life to come back in him. I said, devil, you ain't going to get my friend. He's not old enough to go home yet. I said, Lord, raise him from the dead. And he said, my goodness, I've got a heartbeat. He's breathing. He said, I'm going to take him to the hospital in Irving. I said, I'll get up and come down there. So he hung up the phone. I got up, put on my clothes, and I drove an hour to downtown Irving to the hospital and about 5 o'clock in the morning before I finally found everything and got into where he was. And I walked in as a doctor in the wee hours of the morning walking down a quarter. I said, sir, do you know where Otho Wayne Jackson is? He said, yes, sir. He's right down in the room, so-and-so on the left. I said, how's he doing? He said, well, he'd have been better off if he had stayed dead. <laughs> I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, the paramedic said he didn't have a heartbeat or a pulse for nearly a half hour. He said he'd be, he'd be a vegetable. He said they shock treated him or something, finally brought him back. But he said he'll be a vegetable. Said he had no oxygen to the brain. The brain's dead. I said, sir, you see those hands? 
Yeah. I said, the anointing of God is in those hands. I said, in Mark 16, 18, Jesus told me to lay them hands on the sick and he'd heal them. Oh, gosh, he says, one of them kind. <laughs> now, I don't know if the guy's a Christian or not, but he could even have been a Christian. But he just rolled his eyes and turned and walked off. So I went down there where the room was, where Bo was at, and I walked in and I laid my hands on him and I said, be healed in Jesus' name. I said, I guarantee, Bo, you'll get well, quick. He did, I don't know if he even heard me at that point. But within three weeks, he was back at work, and he was sharper and better than he had ever been. And he worked for me a few more years, three or four more years, and he retired. And right now today, he lives in Denton, Texas, about 12 or 14 miles from where we live. And he's still wheeling and dealing. But yet, 10 or 12 years ago, whatever it was, he was stone dead for a half hour. Isn't it amazing what we can do by faith? See? Now, we have worked on that with a few others, but that's the only one we've raised from the dead so far. I don't know why that is. You know, after I saw God do that, everyone, every time somebody dies, (laughs) I want to jump in there and raise them from the dead. But so far, I haven't been able to do it anymore. That's the only one so far. But praise God, that's one. You know, that's one more than I'd raised before that. You know, or I didn't do it, of course, Jesus did. But I did get to pray the prayer of faith for him. And God does honor faith because Otho Wayne Jackson is still alive and well today. And nobody understands why he recovered. They refused to accept the fact that my prayer had anything to do with his recovery. But that's normal, isn't it, brother? You know, that's just the way we are. But anyway, God knows what he was doing. He's in charge. He says in verse 15, He shall call upon me and I will answer him. Now, if you're a child of God, you can take that scripture and call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, I have a problem I don't understand. I need revelation and wisdom and I need you to speak to me and tell me how to do this. And if you stay on his doorstep, he will. Now, sometimes I've had the privilege to call upon the name of the Lord and he just speak to me just like that. But sometimes I have to call upon him for hours or maybe even days. And sometimes he never answers me about some questions. But many times the Lord has spoken to me. I mean, he's spoken to me in my spirit so many times I don't even know how many times. But he's spoken to me audibly in a voice that I can hear well over 30 times in my life. It's wonderful to hear God's voice. And I know many of you have heard that voice. I asked that question the other night. It says, call upon me and I will answer you and I will be with you in trouble and I will deliver you. I will deliver you and honor you. And then look at verse 16. With a very short life will I... Oh, you didn't agree with that, did you? Immediately, this this girl's reading the word with me. It said, with long life, I will satisfy you. Didn't it? Okay, if with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation, if the king says he will forgive all of our sins, heal all of our... forgive all of our iniquities... 
forgive all of our sins and heal all of our diseases, crown us with loving kindness, satisfy our mouth daily with good things, and renew our youth like the eagles, and satisfy us with long life, then everything's going the right way for us. But you've got to know this, and you've got to fight the fight of faith to make it happen. And how do you fight the fight of faith? You know the Word, you call the Lord in remembrance, and if the devil comes to take you out, like the story about Betty Baxter, has anybody in here seen the testimony of Betty Baxter? Anybody ever seen her testimony? Wow, you have missed a blessing. She lived in Minneapolis when she was a child. She was born somewhere in this part of the world. And she was born with a very serious crippling problem. Her little arms were all locked and twisted. Her legs were locked and twisted. And, and, and they were all gnarled up. And she had huge knots all over her head, down her back, and everywhere else. And after her daddy took her to Minneapolis when she was eight or nine years old, whenever it was, and kept her a month, and they checked everything, run every test they could, the doctor finally said, Mr. Baxter, I'm sorry, there's not anything we can do for Betty. She'll be dead by the time she's ten. There's just no way she'll ever be able to live or have any kind of productive life. So when the doctor said that, everybody give up on Betty but one person. You can imagine who that was, her mother. She had read the Word. Oh, they were all Christians, but her mother believed the promises of God. So she went home and said, Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. So I'm going to believe you on these promises you made. And you said I could ask anything in your name. So I'm asking you to raise up Betty and completely heal her and restore her and make her a beautiful woman and use her for your glory. And the more Miss Baxter prayed, the worse Betty got. Until Betty went into a coma. Miss Baxter's faith never wavered. And then one day the doctor was over there and he says, Miss Baxter, you can stop praying. Betty is dead. Miss Baxter didn't waver. She said, Nope. God said it in the Word. He's not a man that he can lie. If I don't doubt, he's got to use my daughter like I've asked him. I am not wavering. But, ma'am, I'm sorry she's dead. She said, I don't care what you say. I don't believe what you say. I only believe what's written in my Bible. So Betty says, I walked across the valley of the shadow of death, and there stood Jesus as I entered heaven. And he was standing there with his hand up. He said, Betty, I'm sorry you can't come in right now because of your mother's prayers. You have to go back, and you're going to lay there comatose for a few more months. Then I'm going to come in the fall, and I'm going to completely heal you. I think, why in the world is Jesus going to wait? That's the thing that drives me. I don't understand that, Kathy. Do you? No, I don't understand. But the Lord says in your word in Hebrews 10. 35 and 36, do not throw away your confidence in the Word. You have need of patience. That after you have done the will of God, you will receive your promise. It's a guarantee from the King. Miss Baxter, she didn't waver. So, after laying there for a few months, continuing to pray, at least Betty is comatose, but she's alive. 
doctor continues to come by and check her. Miss Baxter continues to praise God for little Betty's healing. And then one day Jesus spoke to Betty and said, Betty, she woke up. And he said, Betty, because you have been loving and kind, there's a message in that. Because you've not grumbled and complained about your condition. God hates grumbling and complaining. He said, because you've not done none of those things, I am coming next Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. to heal you. But you can't tell anybody until I tell you it's okay. So in a little while, Mrs. Baxter walks in and Betty is awake and they talk. And she says, honey, do you have any idea when Jesus is coming to heal you? She said, my mother has never asked me that question. She said, I don't know why. She asked it now. Said, I had no idea, but now I know. Said, I just looked up at mother and smiled. And said, mother said, he's coming next Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. to heal you. She said, mother, how did you know that? Said, the same Jesus that told you, told me. So Mrs. Baxter goes to the church and tells the pastor, come to my house next week. Sunday afternoon after church, Jesus is coming to my house. He didn't believe her. Most pastors wouldn't. (laughs) Since occurrences of Jesus showing up is so rare. The pastor didn't believe. And most of the people in the church didn't believe. A few of her really close friends came over. Some of her relatives, just out of being nice to mother, came to the house. But Miss Baxter, she goes down to the department store and buys a beautiful new dress for a 10-year-old girl. She buys a beautiful pair of shoes for a 10-year-old girl. Betty has never been able to wear a dress because of her snarled, twisted body. Her heart's out of in the wrong place, her intestines are in the wrong place. Her body's just all twisted and gnarled. But everybody waits. Of course, at 3 p.m. Sunday afternoon, they're all there waiting. And Miss Baxter stands up and says, Jesus, you're not a man that you should lie. You promised to be here at 3 p.m. It's 3 p.m. We're waiting for your presence. And all of a sudden, on that hot, I believe it was an August day, On a hot August day, a wind began to blow inside the house. The curtains began to blow. There was no wind outside. And a great big beautiful white cloud appeared over there against the wall. And now that cloud stepped the living Savior, Jesus, the King of Kings. He walked up to little Baxter, little Betty, and looked at her and said, Betty, because you've been loving and kind and not grumbled, I've come to heal you. And he reached in and her chest and her hand, his hand went right inside her chest and grabbed her enlarged heart. And she said, I could feel his hand around my heart as he squeezed it down to the right size and then moved it into the right place. And I felt his hand go down lower and put all my intestines in the right place. So his hand came out of my body and he touched my forehead and as it did, every knot on my body completely instantly disappeared and my arms came loose, my legs came loose and she said, I as a 10 year old girl jumped out of the chair standing right beside him completely, perfectly, totally a 10 year old girl. And she said, 
Jesus looked at me right in the eyes. And then he looked all the way down to my feet and then back up to my eyes. I said, I guess he was admiring his work. And he said, Betty, because you didn't grumble and complain about your situation, I've come and healed you. Now I want you to go, as you grow, I want you to go and I want you to teach this message in churches I will send you to all over the world. And those that believe you and your testimony will be healed, they'll be saved, and I'll use you greatly. I have a copy of her testimony that I've taken off of Daystar Television when she was in a church in Florida a few years ago. And I'm guessing at that time she was in her late 50s or maybe early 60s, I don't know. But today this woman is a very beautiful woman still telling that awesome story. She's out there and she's still alive today. And her name is Betty Baxter. If you don't have that or if you never have had that and you'd like to have that, if you will call our ministry center and ask for a DVD of the Betty Baxter testimony, we'll send you one. We'll send you one free and postpaid. It is an awesome story to see this beautiful woman tell what Jesus has done for her. She's still telling that story today. Did her mother walk by faith? Did she fight the fight of faith? I mean, Kathy, can you imagine when they've told you your little daughter is dead? You prayed and prayed. Where's Jesus? He's right there. He knew what was going on. He's testing your faith. And she died. Now then, what are you going to say? You're going to do the same thing I did when they tell me Caitlin can't live. I said, oh, yeah. If I stay in faith, he said, I can speak to the mountain and the mountain's going to move. And it did. And today she's a beautiful little eight-year-old girl running and playing. If I'd have doubted one time, that little girl would be dead today. I can tell you for sure. But I didn't doubt. And God showed up. And he did the same thing for Caitlin. Did you all get to see her when you were down there? You didn't get to see her? So how long of a life is God going to satisfy you with? A long life. Now then, to have that long life, what do you have to do? Read verse 1 and 2. Everything in that chapter revolves around 1 and 2. If you don't make Him the Most High God, and everybody wants to be free of the devil. Everybody wants to be free of sickness and disease. Everybody wants a long life. Everybody wants to be prosperous and successful. And everybody wants God to send His angels to watch over you and give them charge over you. But so few of us want to do it His way. We want to do it our way. We don't work your way. You want to get up and go to work every day. You want to be one of the boys or one of the girls. You don't want to talk to nobody about Jesus. You don't want to produce no fruit for the kingdom. But yet you want all the good things. It won't happen. It will not happen. You have to do it His way. Otherwise, the fight of faith does not work. Now then, continuing on with the fight of faith, after we talked about the authority and power we've been given over Satan, if we don't sin... We can speak to the devil, and he has to leave us. Now then, it's awesome to learn all those scriptures we talked about yesterday in our authority over Satan. We've been redeemed from the enemy, hand of the enemy, and we've been given power and authority over him when we walk holy in obedience to the word. Then the next part of this thing is what are we redeemed from? We are redeemed from the curse of the law. Where do we find that? Galatians 3, 13, 14, and 15. 
Now, when you go to Galatians 3, 13, 14, and 15, you will find that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. How do you receive everything from God? By faith. By faith. By His Word. By believing what He said. Now then, what did we talk about about redemption? When He redeemed you from something, did He lack anything? Did He pay the total price? Can you imagine if I were to come in here today and say, which one of you has got a note at the bank for $1,000? Some of you held up your hand and said, I got one. I said, come up here. I'm going to go down to the bank and I'm going to pay them the $1,000. What bank do you have it with? And you tell me. You think, this guy's crazy. He's not going to do that for me. But I get a copy or I get the bank, get your name and everything. And tomorrow I go down to the bank and I write them a check. And they call my bank and find out my check is good. And I pay that $1,000. And then I come back with a piece of paper saying, hey, your note has been redeemed. I paid for it. You have to believe that. So I don't believe that. I don't believe he's telling me the truth. So next month when the payment comes, you send it to the bank. They put it in your account. It's already been paid for. And after you pay four, five, or six payments of $50 a piece, they're going to finally wonder, what's wrong with this man or this woman? Why do they keep sending us these payments? They don't owe us nothing. That's what we do with the Word of God. If Christ has redeemed you from the curse, are you under a curse? No. I have people come to me all the time. I know I'm under a generational curse from my parents. Okay, then let's get over it. Take the Word of God, break the curse, and kick out the demons, and then believe God, and it's done. And you're not under the curse no more. You don't have to go through a long, knock-down, drag-out, three-day deliverance. All you got to do is believe God's Word. In fact... Here a while back, I was at Gateway Church. There was about oh, 1,500, 2,000 people there that day. And I was the first speaker. And I spoke from 10 till 1220. And after it was over, I said, you know, the next speaker don't come in till 1.30. We're supposed to go to lunch from 12 to 1.30. So I said, if anybody wants to be prayed for out of this massive group, if you'll come up here, I will pray for you until 1.30. Well, the, the line was so long. That I prayed till 1.30, and they came to me and said, Thurman, you, I mean, look at this line. I said, we're going to send you upstairs with these people. So I said, okay. So I went upstairs in that big, massive church, and I prayed for people from 1.30 till midnight that night. And then the next afternoon, those that were left, I put them in order on a list, and I came at 2, and I finished at 6. But out of that, I got to see God do some of the most awesome healings and miracles. And one of them was a family of four little girls. When that mother, they came into the room, and I said, and what's y'all's problem? Because, you know, I, I, I had people lined up outside, and I had a little private room, this nice big Sunday school room, where we could go in because some people don't want everybody in the world to know what their sins are. 
So I went into this room, and they, people that worked at the church directed people in there, and they brought this little, this little girl, with her, this little young woman with her four little girls, and probably the oldest one couldn't have been over 10 or 12. And the mother had a gluten problem. I didn't know what that was. That's the first time I'd ever experienced a gluten problem. But she said, when I eat wheat, I bleed internally. And three of my children have the same problem. One of them doesn't have it, but three of us does. I said, y'all are under a generational curse. Anytime the devil can do this to four of you out of a family, I said, you're under a generational curse. I said, now, we need, you need to know, you and the girls need to know that Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed you from the curse. I said, you're not under a curse no more. Jesus paid the price. One of the oldest little girls said, sir, what does that mean? I said, honey, that means you don't have it no more. She says, what? I don't have it no more? I said, no, Jesus took it away on the cross 2,000 years ago. She said, mama, if Jesus took it away, we can eat wheat. I said, that's right, young lady, you can't. She said, sir, are you sure you know what you're talking about? I said, I'm only as sure as the Word of God. And I showed that to that mother. She would read that. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. I said, now, do you believe that? Well, she said, Jesus said that, didn't he? I, all them little girls could read. I said, you little girls read that in your Bible. And the more they read it, they said, Mama, if Jesus did it, that's good enough for us. Let's go get some Triscuits. So I told him, I said, I'm going to rebuke this devil of hell. He's going to come out of all of y'all, and you're healed. You can go eat anything you want to eat by faith. You, if you believe God, you can go eat anything you want to, and there ain't going to be no problem. They left. I prayed, rebuked the devil. They left. A month later, they came to a healing school. Walked in, daddy, mother, all four of the girls. She said, we went home that afternoon on the way home. The kids were all excited, and we stopped, got cereal, all kinds of stuff, wheat, bread, everything else they could never eat, and said, the kids begin to just eat that stuff, and said, I didn't have the faith, sir. I'm going to irritate I didn't have the faith to do what they were doing. She said, I knew before I could eat one bite of wheat toast, and I could bleed internally for two months. And she said, I just didn't have the faith. So the kids just jumped in the middle of it. She said, we got home and said, I didn't eat anything wheat that night. And I went to bed and said, during the night I had a horrible dream. It said, you fool, you have killed all of your children. Guess who that dream came from? We know it didn't come from God, did it? No, the devil, he's out there. So she said, I got up that morning in great fear. I went downstairs and thought, oh my goodness. And so when I got there, the kids were all already up sitting at the breakfast table just eating every kind of wheat cereal and everything they wanted. And they were beautiful shape. And I thought, if they can do it, I can do it. So she went over there and made me a piece of wheat toast. And she said, I ate that piece of wheat toast. And she said, I'm here to tell you, a month later, we're here at a healing school to give our testimony that we have eaten anything we wanted to eat this last month. And there has not been one single sign of the gluten problem. Now see, does the kings, did the kings say in Galatians 3.13, you're redeemed from the curse? 
So if you're under, and every human being on this earth is under some kind of a curse. There ain't not one single one of us haven't sinned. Is that true? When you sin, you come under a curse. But now how do you get rid of that? You claim the redemptive work that Christ did on the cross exactly as is written in Galatians 3.13. If Christ has redeemed us from the curse, are we as Christians under a curse? No. No. We're not under one. So you have to claim that magnificent statement in Galatians 3.13 and 14. And by faith, say, praise God. Thank you, Lord. You did it for me. Now I am free from the curse. Now you speak to the demons of hell that are in you and command those demons to leave and get out of your house and never come back in the name of Jesus. And then you go do what you couldn't do before. The word sozo, S-O-Z-O. It is a Greek word that is used in the Bible, in the Greek New Testament, 120 times in 103 different verses. And the word means five things, at least. The word sozo means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. And some other commentaries will tell you it also means health. And so that fits right in with all these other meanings. But it means those things. When I learned... Just exactly what Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10 says, that by confession of my mouth and believing in my heart, I was sozo. That means I was saved. I was also healed, if I knew it. But I was saved when I was 11, and I wasn't sozoed or healed until I was in my 40s. But in my 40s, I received Jesus as my healer by faith in his word. And from that day to this, never had another sick day. But I didn't know it. So you cannot go beyond knowledge of the Word of God. That's why the Lord told us, study my Word. Study my Word to show yourself approved unto me. That's why he said in Hosea 4, 6, My people, which are called by my name, perish for the lack of knowledge. And most people stop right there. But that's not what the Scripture stops on. He says, because you have rejected knowledge, so shall I reject you. And your children. That's scary, isn't it? I think it would pay good dividends to study the Word. Hosea 4, 6. Because you... Is that what he said? It said that. Because you have rejected knowledge, I have rejected you and your children. It's amazing, isn't it? See, God says things in His Word. We don't believe He'll do these things, but He does. Now then, if you're redeemed from the curse and you receive that by faith, then what is the curse that you're redeemed from? I mean, I didn't know there was a curse. I was a Christian for years. I didn't know there was a curse. But one day I started reading the Bible. And as I read it, especially when I come over to Deuteronomy 27 and 28, especially chapter 27 of Deuteronomy, As I read through the chapter 27, it seemed like every verse had said, if you do this, I will curse you. And about half of those sins in there are sexual sins. If you have sex with your sister, I will curse you. You have sex with an animal, I will curse you. 
If you have sex with a man you're not married to, I will curse you. If you have sex with your mother, I will curse you. I mean, he lays it out. Lays it out. I think about the one about having sex with an animal. I will curse you. There was a man one time we were dealing with that was about in his late 30s, maybe early 40s. He had a half-grown family. And then he lost his, began to lose his mind. He got to where he couldn't communicate, couldn't do things, all kinds of things wrong with him. Doctors couldn't find anything wrong with him. He was getting almost where you couldn't do anything with him. But finally, through intensive searching, we finally found his sin. I mean, when you find out that no curse can come upon you undeserved, when you see people like this, you know they've got some kind of a sin in their life. It's there. you just got to find it. Finally found out this man, now he's nearly 40, this man, when he was a young boy, he was raised up on a farm. When he was a young boy, in his teens, he had sex with a sheep. He didn't know that put him under a curse was going to cause him to lose his mind when he got to be 40. But he was doing it. And after learning that that was his problem, that was causing him to lose his mind, he repented from his sins and we broke the curse over him and cast the demon out of him and the man got well and he became normal again. Isn't it amazing how the word means exactly what it says? Listen to this. In Deuteronomy 28, starting with verse 15, But it shall come to pass. This is God's Word. This is what's going to happen to you if you sin and you don't know that Christ has redeemed you from the curse. And this is why so many people in the church are sick and afflicted because they don't know they've been redeemed from the curse. A lack of knowledge. It's what gives the devil the legal right to kill us. When you get the knowledge, then the devil leaves you. But listen to what the curse says. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. The Lord says, But it shall come to pass, if you, now you can put your name right there, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today, All these curses will come up on you and overtake you. Now let's look at some of these curses in verse 16. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country. So that don't make a difference if you're living in town or in the country. You don't get away. You can be a farmer or you can be a city slicker. Don't make no difference. The devil knows where you are. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. That's your food. The things that you eat will be cursed. When I learned these things, that's why we and our family, we never eat or drink anything without blessing it in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I mean, if we go out to a restaurant or if we're at home, it makes no difference. If I go up to get a drink of water out of the faucet, I bless it. If I go back to get a second glass, I bless it. If we go to a restaurant and they bring us a glass of water, 
we bless it. Then if they bring us tea, we bless it. If they come by and refill the glass, we bless it. If we bring us a salad, we bless it. If they bring us a main course, we bless it. My wife will not take a drink out of a glass until I, if I'm sitting there with her. Now, if, I'm by my, if she's by herself, she can bless it herself. But she knows that according to God's Word, she, as a woman, my wife, she has to yield and submit herself to me as her husband in all things. I'm the spiritual authority in the home. So if we're there, I, if I'm with her, she will not eat or drink anything until I bless it for her. She learned her lesson the hard way. We'd been married a year, year and a half or whatever. And one night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, she woke me up. She said, honey, you've got to pray for me. I said, what's wrong? She said, I have a burning fire in my stomach and I cannot sleep tonight. I said, how long have you had it? She said, about two days. I said, two days? Why did you wait so long to tell me? Well, she said, I've been praying myself. I said, woman, do you not know you're in total disobedience to God? She said, what do you mean I'm in disobedience? I said, the Word of God says you're supposed to submit to me in all things as your spiritual head. Well, she said, I do. I said, no, you didn't. I said, I'm supposed to pray for you. You're not supposed to pray for yourself. I am your priest. You come to me. And I said, that's why God hadn't answered your prayer. You're disobedient. She said, are you serious? I said, yes. She said, I didn't know this. I said, well, repent. (laughs) She said, Lord, we're laying there at bed at 2 o'clock. She said, Lord, I didn't know. I repent for trying to go around my priest to come to you. Will you please forgive me? I said, that. It, he will. I said, thank you, Lord, for forgiving my wife. I reached over and laid my hand on her stomach and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And I mean, instantly the king healed her. Her pain left and she was instantly healed. She learned right there that when God says, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands in all things, that's what he meant. That's what he meant. Now then, if your husband's not available, you can't get in touch with him, you can pray. If you have children, you have spiritual authority. If your husband is not available, to pray over yourself and your children. But if your priest is available, you're to use him. God holds the man accountable for the woman, her well-being, and your children. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands in everything. Has anybody ever read that scripture? You have read that. It does say that, doesn't it? You know, I'll tell you a real quick story here about a lady. This was so awesome. There was a lady came to our church a few years ago, and she had been married nine years. And her and her husband were right on the brink of a divorce. They had three children. And in that nine years, the three children, they also had miscarried three children. Three had died. She came to me and her oldest son, which was about eight, he was getting ready to be in a wheelchair. He was going to be physically impaired and never be able to walk. He had already had surgery on one leg, but the other leg was beyond surgery. 
The doctor said he'll be in a wheelchair shortly, and he'll be in a wheelchair all of his life. There's nothing we can do. And the other two boys had other things, asthma, whatever, allergies, but they were all sick all the time. I told her, I said, woman, you're under a curse. I said, something's wrong here. I said, where's your husband? She said, well, he's at home. I said, so you come to church without him? She said, I did. She said, my husband won't do nothing, I tell him. <laughs> I said, that's your problem. You're not supposed to tell him what to do. He's supposed to be the spiritual authority. I said, so you don't obey? You don't submit to your husband? She said, are you kidding me? He said, I wouldn't submit to him under no conditions. I said, woman, "Woman, tell me the condition of your marriage. She said, I'm just about ready for a divorce. I said, I can understand that. (laughs) I said, you're walking in total disobedience to God's word. I said, what about your children? You got children? She said, I got three. I said, are they well or sick? She said, they're all sick. I said, I expected that. I said, that all the kids you got three? She said, well, we had three miscarriages in the process. So I said, you've got three sick and kill three because of your sin. She said, what are you telling me? I said, you're the fault. You're the problem. She said, I don't believe this. I said, yes, ma'am. I said, you got, any, you got a grudge against your husband? She said, I certainly have. She said, we got married. We hadn't been married a year. He did something I didn't like, and I've held a grudge against him ever since. How many of you know that if you do not forgive everybody as a Christian... God will not only not forgive you, but he will send tormenting spirits to your house to torment you and your children. You know that, don't you? It's written in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. It's also written in Mark 11, 25 and 26. And it's written several other places in the Word of God. But there's two that lays the story out for you in detail. So anyway, she didn't know these things. Great Christian woman. She goes to church all the time. And her husband, he was the, one of the uh, media uh, men there at this huge church there in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. He loved God with all his heart, too. I told her, I said, you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to tell God you're sorry. You're going to have to go home and tell your husband you're sorry and that you'll obey him. She said, it'll be over his dead body. I said, what you need to do, ma'am? She said, I don't believe anything you're telling me. I said, what you need to do, you need to just go home and ask God. And you need to let him tell you. Because he's going to tell you the same thing I've told you. So on the way home, she was mad and fuming. God, that creature over there, he's crazy. She said, Lord, I don't believe this. And he spoke to her and he called her name. He said, Terry, Did you not understand in my word I told you to submit to me? She said, well, Lord, I don't have a problem submitting to you. He said, what does that mean? Well, Lord, submit means to obey. He said, that's exactly right. He said, do you not remember I told you to submit to your husband? She said, obey, Frank? He said, yes. Lord, after what he's done to me, it'll be over his dead body. I obey him. And the Lord spoke to her and said, no, it won't. It'll be over your children's dead bodies. You've already killed three. So then she believed. Then she repented. And she goes home and she walks into the house. 
And she walks into the bedroom where Frank was in bed. And she walked to him and said, Frank, you and I have got to talk. And he said to himself, she's fixing to ask for a divorce. And I am ready. And when she said, Frank, I ask you to forgive me. I will love you. I will submit to you. I will obey you. Anything you tell me to do, I will do it. And Frank liked to fell out of the bed. <laughs> but it brought tears in both of them's eyes. Both of them repented before God. They got back into a love relationship with each other and forgave each other and asked God to forgive them. And then just a few months later, everything began to change radically in their lives. And a few months later, they had their next appointment with a doctor. And they went to the doctor's office. And on the way to the doctor's office to have the son's leg checked, which they expected to be way bad, the Lord told her, said, Terry, you're going to be put to the test today. She didn't know what he meant. But she said, when we got to the doctor's office, the doctor checked my oldest son, and he said, I do not understand. The leg that was beyond surgery is going the other way, and it is now in a place where we could do surgery and help. And she thought a minute. The Lord said, I was going to be put to the test today. This is the test. And the son says, Mama, Mama, do you hear what he said? If they do surgery with me, I might be able to walk again. Mama, please let them do the surgery. And mom and daddy says, no. No. We now know what caused it. We have repented. We know why the legs go in the other direction. And now we're going to continue to trust our Lord for your complete healing. And they did. And today, Frank and Terry Lugenheim are in madly in love with each other have three beautiful boys, and the oldest one's playing football and has no problem with either leg, and neither one of the younger boys have been sick in over two years. Does God's Word work? Yes. But when you come to a preacher that tells you the problem with you, you know, lots of people don't want to hear that. You know that? You mean I'm sick because of me? And maybe your baby is sick because of you, too. Hers was, but she'd never heard anybody tell her that. They're fixing to give their testimony. In fact, what is today? What is the 13th? The 10th, they were on James Robinson's show, and they recorded this story. Frank and Terry invited Cheryl and I to be there they wanted us to be there, but I told them I'd love to have been there on the set, I mean, or, or there in the crowd to, to listen to the testimony. She said, I learned these things from you, and I would love for you to be there. I said, but we can't be there. We're going to be in Chinook, Kansas. It's not going to air. They just record it, and then they air it later. So if you watch James Robinson, you may see Terry and Frank Lugenheim's testimony about how God done this mighty thing in their life. But you talk about a powerful testimony. I told Terry, I said, Terry, you need to start a women's group, 
a meeting. You need to start teaching this. You need to go out. Women that have never known these things would listen to you, another woman. Their lives could be changed. Their children could be healed. They could learn these great and awesome things. They could learn how to fight the fight of faith. But see, if you don't repent of your sins, you can't fight the fight of faith. You've got to repent. When you repent and come to God by faith, then He will do what He said. And when you learn that principle, you can get lots of people healed that you could never get healed before. Never. I've seen many people, even my own wife, that's how when we met, she had a problem for years and she couldn't get healed. It was incurable. And she came to me, heard about repenting, repented. I prayed one prayer of faith for her and God instantly healed her. She'd had it for years. But how many people have I done like that in my life? Multitudes of them. I've seen thousands of people with back problems, with incurable diseases, you name it, of every kind known to man. And when they repent, and then you come to God on behalf of His promises, and you believe by faith, He heals you. It's so wonderful to fight this fight of faith. But if you see Terry and Frank on James Robertson sometime in the future, they will be on there. And also, that she has this entire testimony written on her and Frank's website. I, when I get back, I'm going to have a link put from our website to theirs so that people can go. And I'll put something like the testimony of Terry and Frank Lugenheim. Click here, and it'll take you to their website, and you can read, their, read her entire testimony and download it and print it out. And it's awesome. You know, when you hear it from me, it's one thing, but when you hear it from the one it happened to, it's something else. And they're such a beautiful family today. And I think, here's this lovely woman and her lovely husband, that if they hadn't learned these principles, the two younger boys would have still been sick, and the older one would have been in a wheelchair And he would never have been able to play football. But because they learned the principles of God's word and stood on it by faith, the Lord did exactly what he said. And he healed them. Walking in obedience to God's word and knowing that once you repent, then you're not under these curses. But these curses, after he says he will curse you, he says curse in verse 18 He says, curse shall be the fruit of your body. What is the fruit of your body? Your children. Curse shall be the fruit of your body and the the produce of your land. The increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks shall all come under a curse because of your sin. A lot of people never realize that farmers, they can't get rain or they get too much. Or they can't, they have, feel like they have to have fertilizer or insecticides or all kinds of things when really they're under a curse. And sometimes the whole nation of us is under a curse and all of us get involved in that curse because of everything that's going on around us. Now then, can you break that curse? If you have enough faith, you can claim redemption from that curse. I heard a great preacher on national television one day said he was the fourth or third or fourth or fifth generation Pentecostal preacher and his daddy knew these principles. And he said him and his granddaddy had a piece of land somewhere up in the Midwest and they had a really wonderful green crop and the locusts and grasshoppers 
come, begin to come across, and they were stripping every blade of grass. Said, my Pentecostal granddaddy, said, this is back in the days when preachers didn't make no money. They had to work somehow for a living besides just preaching the word and studying the word. So said, my granddaddy had a little farm. And said, when them locusts and the grasshoppers began to come across to eat, said, my granddaddy walked out there and he took the word of God and he walked right down that fence row. He walked all the way around, completely around and said, Lord, you made me a promise that I walk in obedience to your word. No curse shall come upon my property. He said, I claim that. Now, not one single locust can touch our property. And by faith, I'm believing that. And he began to tell everybody, there ain't not one blade of grass going to be touched on my place because Jesus made me a promise. His preacher said, the locusts and grasshoppers eat right up to the fence, right around the fence, and come out on the other side. And it was the only thing left standing green in that entire area. But they didn't touch his. What can we do by faith? Anything we can believe God for. Somebody says, I don't believe I can do that. Then you're absolutely right. You can't do that because you don't have any faith. The curse will get you. It says in verse 19, curse shall you be when you come in and curse shall be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursings, confusion, and rebuke and all that you put your hands to and, and you will be destroyed. Isn't that amazing? And verse 59, when the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues. Now, this is verse 59. I, start, I went down to verse 20. But it continues on with all these same things from verse 20 all the way to verse 59. But I just kind of skipped over all those. Then at verse 59, it says, the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Verse 60, moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid and that shall cling to you. In verse 61, and every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. And all this is because of sin. Now then, if you know that's a fact and you know you've been redeemed from the curse, don't you think it's time you claimed that redemption from the curse. And if you claim by faith, Lord, you redeem me from the curse. I'm not under this thing no more because of the blood. I claim that by faith. I didn't know that till tonight. But tonight, I am receiving you as my deliverer, my healer, and I'm delivered from the curse. And now then, I command every demon of curse that went with the curse to leave me and my family. And I'm breaking the curse over my family right now. And from this day forth, we'll walk under your blessings. Because I, as a spiritual leader of my home, will walk in obedience to your word. I will come to church every time the door is open. I will tithe. I'll walk holy before you. I'll do everything you tell me to do in your word. And by doing that, I can break the curse and we will be blessed going in and going out. And the blessings of Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 through 14, which we did not read, will come upon me and my family and overtake us. And I want to thank you and praise you for all those blessings. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 through 14, that's where you'll want to live. That brother over shaking his head. He knows what that says. You've read it, haven't you, sir? You want to live there. Well, you can't live there except by faith and obedience. But by obedience, you can live there. Now then, let's look a little bit about what the Scripture says about healing your body. 
If you break all the curses, I want you to go to Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. I'll give you a second to get there. This is something that God has promised you when you realize you can break the curse and you break the curse and you claim these principles, you can walk in divine health and you can get other people healed. Look what Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says. Surely he has borne our grief. Now that word in the Hebrew really means pain. But it's written grief. Nearly everywhere else in the Greek, I mean in the Hebrew Old Testament, that word in the Hebrew that's translated grief right there is translated pain. So surely he has bore our griefs or our pain and has carried our sorrows. And the word they translated sorrows also means sickness. That's one of the many meanings of the word that's in the Hebrew. One of the translations is besides sorrows is sickness. So you can read that. Surely he has borne our pain and carried our sickness. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We are healed. I like that, don't you? We are healed by his stripes. So we will walk holy before God. We're healed by his stripes. Now then, this was written by the prophet Isaiah over 700 years before Christ came to the earth. Only God could have known that in advance. No man knew that. The prophet Isaiah didn't know that. But God did. And he's the one that inspired the writing of the book. He's the one that moved on men's hearts so men could pen the word of God. Then he says in Matthew eight sixteen and 17. He made this awesome promise about healing our bodies in, in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Then Matthew eight sixteen and 17. It says, when evening had come. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, had demons in them, demonized. In the Greek New Testament, the word there actually means demonized. It doesn't mean what we translate demon-possessed, because when you and I think about possession, we think we own it. And they are people that are demon-possessed. But no Christian can be demon-possessed in his spirit but you can definitely be demonized in your flesh and your soul. There's no two ways about it. Many Christians, in fact, I deal very little with casting out demons in the world. But Ty and I have cast out many, many demons out of Christians. Many. So when you say a Christian can't have a demon, you've been misled. That is not true. Probably everyone in this room has either had a demon or has one right now living in your flesh. Wouldn't surprise me at all. I have had a multitude of them in my life. It's kind of scary. I used to think, could I have a demon? I asked a pastor, can I have a demon? He said, absolutely not. You ain't, you ain't no way you can have a demon living in a Christian body. So I thought, wow, that's comforting. So I went, I, but I wasn't happy with that answer from what I'd read in the Bible. So I went to a Ph.D. and I asked him. He told me the same thing. So one day I asked God, I said, Lord, I don't agree with these guys. I want to know from you, Lord, since you said you would answer me if I call unto you, can I have a demon living in my flesh? Well, I continued to study the Word of God. I didn't hear the Lord tell me nothing. 
I kept asking the Lord, can I have a demon? Is it possible? Lord, I want to know. No answer. One night I had done a lookup on the Word of God on spirits of. With a computer, it's wonderful what you can do. I went in and I looked up spirits of. And I'm looking about all these different kinds of spirits. I mean, there's every kind of spirit you can imagine. I mean, good and bad. Many of them. There are many different names. And when I came to Luke 13:11, where the woman, which had the spirit of infirmity, 18 years in her body, and she could in no wise lift herself up, Jesus came up to her and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And it says, And the demon left her. And she could immediately straighten up. And when I read that, the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice. He said, son, you have one of those living in your body. I mean, I'm a spirit-filled Southern Baptist Christian. And you're telling me I got a demon living in my body? Now, I hadn't been run into very many spirit-filled Southern Baptist Christians. I've run into a lot of good Southern Baptist Christians. Not a lot of them believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But I'd got past that point. I had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, praise God. But when he said, you have a demon living in your flesh, I said, Lord, infirmity, the spirit of infirmity, infirmity means sickness or weakness. And Lord, I am not sick and I'm not weak. I said, what is it? He said, it's your athlete's foot. I said, Lord, athlete's foot is a demon? He said, yes, son, and in my name you have authority over it. Now, I'd only had it since I was a teenager. Thirty plus years had come and gone. And I, in fact, when I was in Vietnam, when I was in the Air Force military, when I got away from a doctor and walking in them boots and them hot jungles and everything else where we walked, I, and in black socks, my feet sweated so profusely and those demons became so active that they almost eat my toes off of one of my feet. When I finally got back, I didn't realize, I knew I had an enemy in the jungle, but I didn't know I had one in my boot. <laughs> but that's what's wrong with us. We don't know the word. So when I finally got to a doctor, he looked at me and he said, Son, it's a good thing you got here when you did. said, if you'd have been very many more days Without medication, we might have had to amputate your toes. So he said it's a very serious fungus, but he didn't know it was a demon either. But anyway, he doctored me and I got better. And so all of my life, I had problems with my feet. All of my life. I'd doctor them. It'd go away for a while. Then it'd come back in a few days. And it, if I didn't doctor it, pretty soon it'd start cracking and bleeding. And some of you in here may have had problems with athlete's foot. Some of you have made trouble with it right now. But I'd had it for 30 plus years. Serious. That night, I did something that was very unique for a Southern Baptist. I swung myself around from that computer desk. I looked down at my feet and I commanded that demon of infirmity to come out of me. I commanded that spirit of athlete's foot to leave me and go to the pit of hell and to never come back upon a command from our Savior, Jesus, and I believed him, and by faith I commanded those demons to leave, and that's been well over 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, and since that night, I have never had another attack of athlete's foot. So it works. 
And I have cast these demons out of I have no idea how many people and seen it work every time. Now, I had a young man come to my office one day. He was scratching. I said, what's wrong with you? He said, man, I got athlete's foot so bad I can't stand it. I said, you want to keep it or get rid of it? He said, well, I want to get rid of it. I'm doctoring it. I said, but that'll only eliminate it temporarily. I said, you want to get rid of it for real? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. You go to church? Yeah, most of the time. I said, okay. You're not a very good one. But I said, you know. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're a good Christian you in church, you're serving God. You know, if you really know who Jesus is, you're about the king's business. I said, told him about this story. And I said, now, go home and take these scriptures. And I showed him some scriptures. And I said, cast the demon out. He said, I'm going to go home and try that. I said, it ain't going to work for you. He said, you just told me it worked for me. I said, that's right. I told you it worked for you. I didn't tell you to go home and try it. I said, if you go home and try it, that demon will laugh at you. He knows you don't believe the word. I said, you don't try nothing. I said, that's what is wrong with the church. We try to get something that God has promised, and he's a faith God, and he said, if you don't do it by faith, you can't have it. I said, so go home and do it. He said, okay. See, I can talk to men like that. I can't talk to women like that. They break down and cry. They think I'm mad at them. But that young man went home. He drove those devils out, and he got healed. And I've seen this kind of thing happen over and over. Now, look what the Lord says here when he says in Matthew 8, 16 and 17, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demonized. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Now, first of all, what did Jesus do before he healed them? Cast out the demons. Don't you think the precedent that he set, we ought to do the same things? Sure. So when we, as a team, my wife and I, and Ty and his wife, when we pray for people, we almost always rebuke the spirits because we know the spirits is what makes you sick and torment you. So when we drive the spirits out by faith, then you get healed. I've seen a lot of people get healed when I just command the spirit to leave. I've just seen them get healed instantly and never even pray or ask for healing at all. Not even have to pray for healing. Just command the spirit to leave and bam, they get healed. I've seen that many times. But Jesus did the same thing. And then look why he did that. In verse 17, he says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Remember, that's where we was just a minute ago in 53, 4 and 5, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. Now, if Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sickness, does he plan for you to have it too? No. There's no use in you and him both having it. So by faith you can claim that redemption. And when you get every sin repented of, you give no place to the devil. And by faith, when you quote these scriptures to the devil and to God, that devil will leave and you will receive your healing. You don't have to be sick. Only if you want to be. Only if you want to be. Look at what 1 Peter 2.24 says. This all revolves around healing of your flesh. 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus said, who himself took our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, God sees us dead to sin. We should see ourselves dead to sin 
So therefore, every Christian, their goal for every day should be no sin in my life today. Is that true? That should be your goal. No sin today. No sin tomorrow. Walk holy before God. Then he says that it might, having died to sins, that you might live to righteousness. That's where you're supposed to walk. And then he says, by whose stripes you were healed. It's already done. The king has paid the price. All you got to do is take it away from the devil by force with it is written. And sometimes you have to do that. It's amazing how easy it is to sin. Look at this scripture in Mark 5, 34. Mark 5, 34. Let's see what faith does. I know we're just about, we are absolutely out of time, but that's okay. I, this is my last night, and I've got a few more things to say, and I'm not through yet. And if you can't stay, then you can leave. But if you want to hear what I have to say tonight, you're welcome to stay. I mean, I can't quit now because this is my last night. I've got to finish this outline before I go tonight. And I hope it don't take more than a few more minutes. But in Mark 5:34, And Jesus said unto her daughter, Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Did Jesus pray for this woman? Everybody knows the story of the little woman with the issue of blood. Had been sick for 12 years. And this is what she approached him with. I know, she's saying, she's thinking, I know if I touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made whole. I know I will be healed. Is her confession right? She's knowing in her spirit that if I can just touch Jesus, I'm going to be made whole. Well, when you get that same kind of faith in you, knowing that the minute you touch him, that's all you got to do is touch the king in faith. Because did he pray for her? No. He didn't pray for her. He was walking away. He was going to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. That's what he was on the way to do. And then they come and said, Jairus, don't bother the master. Your daughter is dead. Oh, well, it's, over. it's too late then, Jairus. Ain't nothing we can do. No, that's not what he said. He looked at Jairus and said, Jairus, only believe. Only believe. That's where we miss it. So he did believe. And then what Jesus went over and raised the little girl from the dead. But this woman touched him by faith, saying, If I but touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made whole. And the instant she touched the hem of his garment, she felt a power flow out of him. And he felt it. And he turned and looked. Who touched me? Peter said, Lord, what do you mean, Lord? People are thronging all over you. What he's saying is, somebody touched me in faith. Who is it? And he looked around and saw the little woman. She's on her knees saying, Lord, it's me. She knew she was healed. Her blood had dried up. She felt it in her body. She's made whole. It's me. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. What is it makes us well? Our faith in him. That's it. Our faith in the king. The scripture does not say you will be healed. It says you were healed. That's past tense. He's already done all he's going to do. He's waiting on you. Just like he was me. 
How many times I was sick all those years? Many. But when I received the King by faith as my healer, well over 20 years ago, not another sick day since that day. Wow. What a God we serve. Wow. Your healing was paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago. All we need to do is believe and receive after we have repented. After we've repented. Then I want you to look at this scripture in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 1, 3. Just a few more verses. Just be patient with me. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I can see Paul standing on the hills of Ephesus. I don't know how many times I read this verse. And one day it just became a revelation to me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. King James Version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. How many spiritual blessings or spiritual gifts did God give you when you got saved? All of them. He didn't cut his little daughter short from nothing, did he? We go about praying, oh God, please give me the gift of this. Give me the gift of healing. Give me the gift of tongues. Give me the gift of discerning of spirits. He said, no, you can't have it. Because you don't know, I already give it to you on the cross. All you need to do is receive what I've done by faith and start thanking me that you have the gift of healing. That you have the gift of miracles. And then if you believe that, the Holy Spirit will move up on you once in a while. And you'll see great and awesome things. But you've got to claim it. You say, Lord, ooh, let me go look in that mirror one more time. Ooh, look at that lion in there. That's me, Lord. And you. Let's go out and do something great for the kingdom today. Lord, I'm available. What can we do today? Let's go do something good, Jesus. I want to go out, Lord, put me somewhere. One night I asked the Lord to do that, and I walked into a McDonald's on the way from church. I thought I'd stop, and this is way before Cheryl and I got together. I'm just all by myself, and I'm going home to church, and I hadn't, usually I usually fast on Sunday. Not every Sunday, but I used to fast every Sunday. Also, I used to fast on every Tuesday and Thursday. Did that for a long time. Even Cheryl did that together for a long time. Fast and pray two times a week, two days a week. But this Sunday, I thought, you know, it's almost 12 o'clock. And so I really would like to have an ice cream cone. So I think I'll just stop in the little McDonald's up there on the road on 407 and run in. They're going to close at midnight, but I'd like to go in there and get me an ice cream cone. So I'll stand in, several people there at midnight. I walk in, I'm standing here, about three or four or five people in front of me, and I'm waiting to get up the counter. And a young man, probably 25, walked up to me and said, Sir. I said, Yeah. He said, Would you be interested in one of these magazines? And it was a porno magazine. I looked at him and I said, You're selling that trash? Just about that loud. He jumped back and I said, Are you a Christian? 
He, he jumped back. He said, well, well, I said, tell me, are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He said, well, well, yeah, I do. I said, then where do you go to church? He said, I'm not from around here. I said, I didn't ask you that. Where do you go to church? And this guy's backing up in a corner. I said, you tell me you're a son of God and you're selling porno stuff? I said, you're lying to me in the name of Jesus. You don't know who my king is. And he's running to get out the door. That's the way I believe every Christian ought to be. I think we ought to be so on fire for our king. I have no idea what the king did in that place that night, but I know I created some kind of a disturbance. (laughs) Praise the king. How much power do we have over the devil? Oh, we don't have to yield to that beast. That was a devil that come and stood beside me. That wasn't a son of God. That was a devil. And it was in that young man. I'm not that beast intimidate me. I'm a son of God. You know, he said, those of us that have the hope of Jesus Christ in us, we purify ourselves from all of the world. You can't look at a porno magazine and purify yourself from the world. You know, if there's some of you in here that's hooked on pornography, you need to repent from God and you need to get rid of that junk because it will bring forth death to you. In fact, we just got back from up here in this part of the world just a, uh, maybe a year or so ago of a young man. We had to go up and minister to a young man and he had cancer in his eye. And we found out his problem was porno. He was watching porno on the web and he repented. And God done some awesome miracles in their presence while we were there. He said, I don't understand this faith stuff you're talking about. I told him, I said, you know, faith is believing what's written and not what you see. And so they said, would you come over to our house for dinner? Okay. So we went over and had dinner with them. After dinner, she said, would you all like a cup of hot tea? I said, yes. Cheryl said, we love hot tea with honey and half and half. She said, I have all that. So she set the cups out and she Put the tea bags in there, and she poured the hot water in there. And we dipped them around a little while. And then she took the honey, and she poured it in Cheryl's, and she poured it in mine, and we're stirring it up. She goes over to the refrigerator and gets out a brand-new container of half and half, opens it up, and goes over and pours it in Cheryl's, and immediately it clabbers right in her drink. <gasps> she said, I can't believe this. She said, it's brand-new. I said, oh, y'all wanted to see a demonstration of faith. I'm going to prove to you what faith is. He said, what do you mean? I said, you saw we had two cups, just alike, clean, two tea bags, hot water out of the same kettle, honey out of the same bottle, and then half and half, and hers clabbered. I said, Jesus said, I can have whatever I say with my mouth if I believe it with my heart. I said, you pour that half and half in my cup, and I'm going to guarantee you in the name of Jesus, it's not going to clabber. It's going to be smooth. And that's what faith is. And so with great excitement, everybody was watching as she poured it. And I stirred it, and it was perfectly beautiful and smooth. And there was no clabbering. I said, that's what faith is. That's believing your words. Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not, nothing shall be impossible with you. 
You see what he means? That's what he means. But here in Ephesians 1, 3, the Lord has blessed us with how many spiritual gifts? All of these things are yours. So instead of saying, oh God, would you please give me something? Begin to thank him for the ones he's given you. If he's already given you all, then how many is left? None. They're all yours as the body of Christ. So begin to say, Lord, thank you. Then start down the list. Go over there in First Corinthians and go down the list of all the nine gifts of the Spirit. Lord, whoo, all these are mine. Start claiming them. Lord, I have the gift of speaking in tongues. I'm going to speak in tongues. Lord, I have the gift of interpretation of tongues. I'm going to do it. Lord, I have the gift of miracles. I have the gift of healing because I'm your son or daughter. Look in that mirror and say, Lord, all them gifts, they're mine. I'm going to use them today for your glory. You said, as the Holy Ghost moves on us, those things go to work. So, Lord, I'm claiming every one of them by faith. And the Holy Ghost says, ooh, wow. The Lord Jesus said, you hear that son or daughter of mine? Look at them claiming all them gifts. Let me get them out there somewhere today and I'll let them use those gifts. And he will do it for you. And you'll get to see mighty awesome things happen when you step into faith, when you act on the Word of God. You'll get to see God do awesome miracles. How many of you like to see Jesus do miracles? How many of you like to see Him do miracles in your life? Woo! Me too. I love to see the King do those things. And do you know when He starts doing miracles around you? Everybody around you will know that Jesus is real. Because he's alive. You know, there's a man by the name of Dan Robertshaw. He was one of my best leads at SkyShift where I was an engineer. And when I came there, he was a Lutheran. I believe it was a Lutheran. And he hardly ever went to church. And he had never seen an answer to prayer or a miracle. And when I started telling these boys about these things and started praying with them every morning and showing them what was available... When he began to see these things happen, for real, and people began to get healed, we began to pray over things in the workplace, God gave them knowledge and wisdom how to fix things, they might be working on something for two hours and couldn't fix it, and I'd walk in and say, you boys prayed? Oh my lands, they'd stop right there in the middle of the floor and pray, and sometimes they'd get up and in five minutes they'd have it fixed. They said, Thurman, why are we so dense? I said, well, just welcome to the crowd. That's the way we are as Christians. You know, that's the way we are. I mean, Neil, one day he went out to put a spark plug in his car, and he had one of them fancy, fancy cars, and he took it down to have the spark plugs changed in it. It was a brand new one almost, and they wanted $250 labor to change the spark plugs. He said, no thanks, I'll change it myself for $250. So when he went out there and started taking them out, he found out why they charged $250. (laughs) I mean, it was not an easy chore. He had to pull the air pump off on one side, the air conditioning compressor, and the alternator, and everything else to get the plugs out of this car. And this front one, one, I believe it was on the right front one, he could not get the new one back in. He finally got the old one out with a whole bunch of variable wiggle sockets and everything else, but he couldn't get that new one back in. He worked all day and never did get it in. Next day, he was telling one of the guys in the truck shop, said, that's the hardest plug I ever changed in my life. And you know how guys are, oh, you're not a, you're not a truck mechanic. I'm a truck mechanic. I'll go out there and put that plug in in five minutes for you. He said, if you would, I'd greatly appreciate it. So the guy, truck mechanic, went out there and worked four hours and couldn't get that plug in. 
the next day, one of the other guys went out and worked four hours, and he couldn't get it in. And Neil sat out there in front of that car, and he said, Lord, he said, Thurman said, if I would pray and ask you in faith, you would do it. So he said, right there in front of everybody, in front of my car, I knelt down, put my hands on it, put my hands up, and I said, Father, in Jesus' name, help me put this spark plug. If you have to send me an angel or whatever, send me an angel, but help me. i got to have some help, Lord. Thank you, in Jesus' name. He said, all my neighbors and everybody watched me. He said, I know they thought I was a fool. He said, I got up, took a spark plug, and he said, I guarantee as God is my witness, I put it in, and in five seconds it was screwed completely to the bottom. Then he comes in my office and says, why am I so dense? He told me what happened. I said, welcome to the crowd. We try, we as men, we try to do everything ourselves. And when everything else fails, we either read the instructions or go to God. How many of you women can say amen on that? You know why I know that so well? Because I'm a man. <laughs> I've been there and done it myself. We are about as dense as you can get. You know, but we're going to change that. We're going to get better. We're going to start asking God first, and then we'll see Him do these great and wonderful things. But if we're blessed with ever spiritual blessings in, in, in heavenly places, then there's not anything that God has left for us to pray for in, as far as spiritual gifts. Now then, if Romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, then what's the problem with us? We don't spend enough time in God's Word. So if you'll spend time in God's Word, you'll learn these things. Then as you read the Word and meditate on the Word, your faith will increase to a new level. And when you begin to learn these things then you can have all the knowledge in the world. Now, I know people that come to my church that have books of the Bible memorized. The whole book of Romans. There's a couple, there's a young man and a young woman that comes to my church that is going to a special meet. And I don't know how many books, but one of them this year has memorized the entire book of Matthew. It takes you four and a half hours to quote it. Is that awesome? You can ask that little guy, what does Matthew chapter 13 verse 8 say? And he can tell you. He has memorized the entire book of Matthew. You know what that says for a guy like me? Not much. (laughs) Isn't that amazing that this young man has that much of the Word of God memorized, but yet he doesn't walk in miracles? Why? He has it all right here. Boy, when that Scripture goes from right here to right here, he's going to be dangerous. You know it? When that becomes a revelation to him, what he has... As he memorizes, and his goal is to memorize the entire New Testament. Think, if you could memorize the entire New Testament. And he's well on his way. Well on his way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word. And when you get that memorized here and get it into your heart, and then it becomes a revelation to you, and God begins to real, reveal these things to you, and you start acting on the Word. You've got to act. 
That's when you see God do great and mighty things. What the little woman in Mark there a while ago, the little woman with the issue of blood, did she act on the word? Yes, she did. She said and she acted and she got her miracle from God. Now then, tonight, I trust that any of you that are here that needs a touch from the king, your faith is high enough to receive it. But the first thing I want to do tonight, if there's anyone here that does not know this king as your Lord and your Savior, if you don't know him, I want you to get up right now and I want you to come down here and I want you to make this king your Lord and your Savior. Because that's the very first thing you must know. If you don't know him, don't be ashamed of Jesus. In fact, Ty led two girls to Jesus this afternoon at the hotel. We prayed and asked the Lord on the way back from here today, as we went back, he said, Lord, we want to see more souls saved. Start today. And before 30 minutes had gone by, he had already led two ladies at the hotel to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you need to know the king. If you don't know him, I trust you will come down and make that decision. But maybe everybody here knows Jesus. If you do, well, you're in good shape. And if you know the king, and he's your Lord and your Savior, and you have a physical or any kind of a spiritual or mental or health issue, if you will come down here tonight, we're going to pray over you, and we're going to believe God with you. But before you come... You must make sure your sins are all repented of because Ty and I and our wives are not the healers. The king is. And he knows your heart. He knows your heart. And especially unforgiveness. If you have unforgiveness in your heart toward anyone, you have to get rid of it. He will not heal you with unforgiveness in your heart. I have never seen anybody get healed with unforgiveness. I've seen a lot of them die with unforgiveness, but I've never seen one get healed with unforgiveness. And one other thing on unforgiveness that's so important that we need to talk a second about, if you're married, you and your husband are one, or your husband and your wife, whichever way you want to, you and your spouse are one. If either one of you have unforgiveness... It will give the enemy legal right to you and all of your children below the age of accountability. I learned that lesson with a deacon in a Baptist church in Keller, Texas, that was about 70 years old and had cancer for several years. And he had been to the doctors and they would spent all the money they had. And now they burned, finally burned a hole in his colon with radiation and they sent him home to die. Said within another week or so he would be dead. And when his son came and got me and asked me to go minister to his dad, I went over there and I asked him if he had any sins. And he said, no. He said, I, I'm a Baptist deacon. He said, I love God with all my heart. I serve him and I don't have any unconfessed sins. I am ready to meet my Lord. I said, but do you want to go? He said, well, I'd really like to stay a few more years, but if it's God's will, I want to go home. Well, most of us don't know what God's will is. <clears throat> so, since he would like to live a little longer, and he had no sins, 
I went to his wife. I said, ma'am, do you have any unconfessed sin? She said, well, I, I try to keep my sins all confessed. I said, do you have any unforgiveness? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of people in our family. I said, there's your problem. There's your problem. That's why your husband's sick. My husband's sick because of my sin? Yes. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, that if you have unforgiveness, not only will the man have to pay the price, but the wife will have to pay the price, and the children will have to pay the price, and all that you own will have to pay the price. It's all clearly written in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I said, then, if you don't forgive, the Lord will turn you and your entire family over to the demonic spirits, and they will come to kill you, and there's nobody can get you healed until you repent of unforgiveness. I said, then, and then when you die, if you're the one that has the unforgiveness, since the Lord says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. I said, I don't believe you'll get to go to heaven. I believe you'll get to go to hell. She just couldn't fathom that. But I said, you want your husband healed? Yes. I said, then repent and get right with all the people and forgive them all. And she did. And then I told her son, I said, I'm not even going to be a part of this prayer. I'm going to prove to you that God is the healer and he'll do what he said. And I said, once she, and, and the son says, Thurman, I don't understand why the devil attacked daddy instead of mother. I said, it's real simple. Your mother's not the one that's producing fruit for the kingdom. Your daddy is. He's the one that loves God with all his heart. He's the one that wants to teach a Bible study class, not mama. I said, so the devil, once he kills daddy, then he'll move over and he'll take mama out too shortly. No problem. But I said, if mama will get the sins repented of and ask God to forgive her and ask all those people to forgive her, I said, then the legal right of the devil will be removed. Because Jesus clearly said in Matthew 18, verse 35, that if you don't forgive everybody from your heart, I will turn you over to the devil to torment you. That's scary, isn't it? Think that Jesus would turn us over to the devil? But it's written. And so she repented. Then I said, Jerry, that's the son. I said, I'm not going to pray for your daddy. I want you to go to your pastor, his pastor, in that Baptist church. And I want him to take this magnificent guarantee in James 5, 14, 15, 16. Now, God has made a guarantee to the church in James 5, 14, 15, and 16. He says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders. Let him anoint him with oil. And the prayer of faith, not the prayer of unbelief, but the prayer of faith, shall save the sick. And if you've committed sin, the Lord will forgive your sin. The Lord will raise him up. I said, that's a guarantee from God in James 5, 14, 15, and 16. To heal anybody in, under any conditions. And so she asked forgiveness. And verse 16 says, of course, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. So God expects us to confess our faults. And so she did. She confessed the faults. And they went to their Baptist preacher and told him they wanted to stand on James 5, 14, 15, and 16 for the deacon's healing. Now, he was within a week or so of death. He'd had this cancer for eight or nine years. And, they, and a hole burned in his colon, leaking to the inside. And Mr. Slagle was prayed over by a group of deacons and a deacon, a Baptist 
pastor in a group of Baptist deacons after sins was confessed. And Brother Slagle, within just two or three days, was completely healed. And today, he's still alive and well, probably 15 years later, still serving God in a Baptist church with no cancer and no more doctor visits. Does God's Word work? Sure it does. But you've got to do what He says. If you've got unforgiveness in your heart, don't come up here. It won't work. You've got to make sure you're right with everybody, for sure with God. So if you have unforgiveness towards someone, you've got to forgive. Now, if you've got a grudge against them and they don't know it, you don't need to go tell them. You just need to repent and ask God to forgive you. But if they know it, and you and them got a problem, then you need to go to that person and confess those sins and get right. And that goes for men and husbands and wives. You know, if you've got a grudge or an unforgiveness toward your husband or your wife, if you're not sick now, you will be. You will be. So you don't want to go there. God's children are expected to walk in total forgiveness with no unforgiveness toward anybody ever. That's walking in love. When you do that, God will meet your need. So, with all those things, I've tried to cover as many things as I could in the few hours we've had this week. And I hope your knowledge has increased, not a little, I hope it's increased greatly this week. But that's why we brought all these CDs and DVDs and tapes and everything. Take those. Take them and listen to them. Study them. There's no limit on what you can take. Take as many as you want. Give them to your friends. Give them to your family. Everything. So you and your family can be blessed. We want you to have them. Now then, if tonight, if they're, when we start praying for people, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you come down here, you tell us, we will lead you to Christ. We know how to do that. And if you do know Jesus... And you just want to be prayed over, whatever it is, you come down here for that too. And we're going to be here tonight until we pray for every one of you, however long that takes. So now then, if you will stand, I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And then I'm going to expect you to come forth and we're going to pray for you. We're going to all start. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you for this evening. We thank you for the beautiful words you've given us in this book, which are your words. And, Lord, we realize you're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the healer. You're the Savior. You're the deliverer. We are your children. And we just want to humble ourselves tonight as little children and stand in your presence and see your glory as you meet the needs of the people that will come forth tonight. And, Lord, what a privilege it is to serve a living God that does healings and miracles and wonderful things for his people. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.